1: Hero Bread serves up 0 to 1 grams of net carbs, 5 to 11 grams of protein,
2: and high fiber in every delicious serving. Made with natural ingredients, Hero Bread supports gut health, promotes weight management, and helps maintain blood sugar. Hero also drops other limited
1: edition ultra-low net carb goodies like rich, flaky croissants and buttery brioche slider rolls. Head to Hero.co to shop today. The following is brought to you by the Social Suplex Podcast Network.
0: This is Speedball Mike Bailey. You're listening to Keeping It Strong Style. Yes.
2: on today's show, we'll review nights 7 through 10 of G1 Climax 32 and cover all this news in the world of New Japan Pro Wrestling. You can support our show by subscribing and following Social Suplex Podcast Network or keeping a strong style on the podcast app of your choice and leaving a rating and review. You can also get all the podcasts over at socialsuplex.com. Check out our Pro Wrestling Tea store, proslentees.com. Slash Social suplex. That's where you can get your official Keeping It Strong Style t-shirt. If you enjoy this podcast, please consider making a one-time or monthly donation by visiting socialsuplex.com slash donate and clicking on the donate button under the Keeping It Strong Style logo. This episode is brought to you by the NJPWEXT, the only browser extension for NJPWworld.com. With features like dark mode, improved translations and layouts, custom and share playlists, synchronized viewing parties, and much, much more. It takes NJPW World to the next level. And you can visit njpwext.us today for details. Young boy, the final countdown is here for my wedding. Yeah.
1: Comes the G, <laughs> all dressed in merch. <laughs> Yo, are you excited? You're getting married this weekend, bro?
2: Yeah, man. This coming Sunday. It's a big day.
1: Listen, let, let, let's get the big question out of the way. Okay. And the big question is, how would you like those who listen and support this podcast to support your wedding? Do you want them to submit like donations to this podcast or you have like a like a, a, a gimmick set up for your wedding? I mean, I don't know what you want to do, but we have to monetize your <laughs> wedding in some way.
2: Well, I mean, you know, if there are any listeners out there that are that are feeling generous and, and want to, you know, contribute some. I mean, I guess it probably make more sense for you to contribute to the show. So, Like I mentioned, you go on the, on the red circle, hit us with a donation there. But if you mean if you really really want to, I mean, I, I could send you my, my website, my registry link, and you know you could, you can buy some gimmicks off there. You can hit up hit, the, hit up the Venmo where you know we're collecting cash for the, the honeymoon fund. Help, yeah. help your boy pay for all these remodels that that's been happening the last couple weeks <laughs> of my house. You know. <laughs> my
1: my present is uh, my presence. I'll be there.
3: Mm.
1: I'll be supporting you. No, this uh, this wedding, bro. Um, you know so we as groomsmen jeremy hooked us up and uh you know we went axe throwing this past weekend this was a wild weekend we had to have your bachelor party and like four njpw shows within the matter of like two days bro they need to i don't know what they're doing they need to stop having three shows in the same day they had strong they had music city mayhem and a night of the g1 all within the same 24-hour block like but I digress. Anyway, so like we're at uh, we're um, throwing axes, and Jeremy hooked all of us up. He got us custom engraved boxes made out of the finest mahogany wood there ever was, and inside of it, uh, these fucking awesome watches. And on the they're like wood engraved on the back of them. It has like our our names and it says we're groomsmen. Is sick, and uh, it's actually. And I and I, don't, I wouldn't say this if it wasn't true. I've been in a lot of weddings, and I've gotten a lot of quote-unquote gifts. I hope none of those friends are listening. But uh, a lot of those gifts were whack as fuck. This is an actual gift that I would continue to wear because it's a good-looking, you know, watch. So that's nice, and we're going to wear those, I assume, coordinating with uh our outfits as groomsmen. And then Jeremy got us a good tie. Yeah. I've gotten a lot of bad ties over the years that you just kind of have to grimace and be like, all right, <laughs> thanks bro. Like, you know, but um, yeah, I have to, tomorrow I have to go to men's warehouse cause I went to men's warehouse to pick up my suit rental so I could look fly for the wedding and they fucked it all up, bro. Like
2: having you, having you given you a, a bad job out here, man.
1: Yeah, dude, they, so we had it. They, they sized me like a month ago. They told me to come pick it up. It's a far way. I drive out there. And then it doesn't fit. It's like, why did you guys size? I'm smaller. I've literally lost weight. I'm smaller and leaner than I was when they sized me. So I don't know how everything doesn't fit. But uh, they had to uh, size it all up. So tomorrow I'll be go getting going to get that suit. And if Men's Warehouse fucks me again, I swear to God, it'll be like <laughs> I'll be like Kane. I'm gonna rain like fire. fire. <laughs>
2: Oh man, well I'm glad you, you liked like the uh, the groomsmen gift. Like like you said, I wanted to make sure you know it was something you know something that lasts just more than that day. Because you, I see a lot of gifts out there, a lot of gimmicks where it only is kind of good the day of the wedding. Or like you mentioned, it's maybe not the, the best quality. So I wanted something that could last, you know, further than just the wedding day. Um, and so I think yeah, the watch does that. And then you know the tie, you can wear that tie anytime as well. Um, I mean, so.
1: I'll take money or alcohol. Those are good gifts. I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. And you don't have to use them on the day of the wedding. You can keep using them until you run out. So yeah, that's that. good, too.
2: That's true. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's uh, definitely a yeah, fun weekend, fun time, axe throwing with all the groomsmen. And yeah, lots of uh, New Japan stuff to go down. And, uh, you know, next week I will not be on the show. So will be the, the first Keeping It Strong style. That I will miss. Actually, sorry, the second oh. keep the second keeping a strong style.
1: That one time you took that lavish vacation to Alaska.
2: Yeah. <laughs> this will be number two for me out of what? This is 244 this week. So uh Chris Samsa from the show should be on next week with the young boy. So it's all in the young boy's hands, ladies and gentlemen.
1: If you've ever wondered what uh, a podcast with just me and just chris would sound like you're about to find out <laughs> boy, oh boy it's gonna be one for the re- bro I, actually you know it's funny that one episode me and rich did like i don't recall what that was like at all and i know we were i know it was an important one because i think we covered like it was yeah
2: it was like super junior finals
1: yeah we covered the super junior finals of uh,
2: 2019 yeah <laughs>
1: like the match of the year yeah (laughs) (laughs) In like one of the in what was probably the greatest super junior tournament in history oh
2: dude yeah that that super juniors was incredible
1: oh man but uh yeah so you know um it's not going to be quite as good this time because this g1 doesn't compare to that super juniors (laughs) but uh chris will be here and he'll be supporting us you know jeremy before we move on i'd like to say something um I was listening to a podcast recently. and They were talking about how not just in the sports and entertainment and, you know, obviously the niche market of like Perrozu, but just in general, there are literally millions of podcasts popping up all the time. And you know, like one of the main reasons people create podcasts is like, like from like a narcissistic, like fame seeking sort of endeavor. And I was listening to this podcast and they were talking about the reasons people create podcasts and, you know, the the fame and the money and the notoriety that goes along with it. And I was like, bro, I have no clue what that's like. We did not create this podcast because we wanted to be famous. We didn't do it because we're trying to make the most money and grift people and sell boner pills and all this stuff. You know, we didn't do it out of a a self-importance sort of mentality. We do this shit because we love New Japan Pro Wrestling.
2: Yeah, man. It was literally our, our hate for WWE and being frustrated with that product. And then our, our love for New Japan Pro Wrestling and just everything that was happening with the Social Superplex Podcast Network. Yeah, it was just the love, the passion, and... Yeah, 244 weeks later, we're, we're still here. The longest running <laughs> weekly episodic New Japan Pro Wrestling Podcast on the internet today.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, like, we joke around and we have, like, little bits where we try to, like, inflame our ego. But the reality is, like, I, I really don't think this podcast is ego-based. It's just a conversation between you and me doing what we would be doing. Even if we, these mics weren't in front of our faces, you know what I mean? Right. And um, welcoming everybody that chooses to listen to it in on the inside with, you know, our conversations and our insights, what for better or for worse. And, uh, you know, you guys could be spending your time doing a lot of other things. We don't take enough time, I don't think, to always thank you guys for tuning in. But uh, just know that this is uh, – you're listening to that real. You know what I'm saying?
3: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs>
2: All right. And also
1: – I just want to, you know, congratulate Jeremy once again on his upcoming wedding. And, you know, that is so awesome. I'm glad that you've, uh, you know, found the person that you want to spend the rest of your life with. And even though they're going to be your roommate now and not me, that's cool, I guess. But, but, you know, just want to congratulate you and wish you all the best. And, uh, yeah, you guys are going to miss it this Sunday. You know, we're going to be living it up eating brunch, partying, dancing on the dance floor, tearing it up, and then, um, you know, and then I guess I'll come back Monday and I'll yuck it up with Chris.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it should be a fun weekend, and thank you, man. I appreciate those kind words. I appreciate your friendship, especially over the last several years that we've gotten closer as we live together and we did the podcast together, all our, our travels to Chicago and Dallas, New York, New Orleans. We've created a lot of fun memories over the years, and you know, this, this podcast is not going anywhere. I know a lot of times when people get married, sometimes, you know, they don't always stick with their hobbies or other things. And, um, you know, I'm planning to keep this thing going. Generally, uh, uh, you know, appreciates the podcast and everything I pour into it. And uh, she's been a big supporter from day one. And, you know, she's found out that the, the G1 finals were on my, was on my birthday and she was like, oh my gosh, are we going to have a G1 party, have all the guys over? I'm like, well, you know, it's a Thursday, and it's going to be airing at, like, you know, 3- <laughs> 3 o'clock in the morning, but I mean, <laughs> we could do something. <laughs> uh, I mean,
1: let's hold off and see. I mean, if if we get, I mean, actually, is there even a final that you can envision right now where you're like, oh yeah, I gotta have a party for that shit?
3: Um,
2: I mean...
1: I can't I, even think of, like, what 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 the best what is the best case scenario a block for you know a b versus cd like i don't even know i mean i don't think it's gonna happen but maybe okada osprey literally i was thinking okada osprey and that's like a rematch of a rematch of a rematch like yeah i don't know man
2: <laughs> but yeah but yeah jen she yeah she supports the crazy wrestling habit so that this podcast will not be stopping um, I might have to find some interesting times to, to watch everything, but everything will get watched. This podcast will keep going and we will keep bringing you guys the three hours of Ace of Podcasts that you
1: love every week. Hey, and for real, if you guys are so inclined, you know, send us a little donation. doesn't have to be anything big, but, uh, you know, mazel, mazel, the big guys getting married, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Give us a little taste. Give us a taste, man. <laughs> but uh, let's move on. So it is – August the 2nd, as we record, which means, Jeremy, we have to award the July 2022 Wrestler and Match of the Month.
2: Yeah, and I just want to give you a shout out, too, for being on top of this one because, dude, the days have been kind of blending in, and I didn't even realize, like, oh, yeah, August has, has started. Yeah, you know, it's the beginning of the month. And so, yeah, we got to award these Wrestler of the Month, Match of the Month. uh So
1: I, I always try to stay on top. It's my favorite position. You know what I'm saying?
2: <laughs> oh, <my gosh. laughs> oh man so wrestler of the month for july 2022 is gonna be the stone pit bull tomohiro ishii and you know this is a very tough call for naming the wrestler of the month because you know honestly nobody's really had a, a blow away month. like july was not a blowaway month for anybody there wasn't this easy like definite like wait, okay, it's this guy or Even there wasn't even like a one or two guys. I mean, we had a handful of guys that we kind of went through looking at the month. You know, we've had G1 this month. There was New Japan Road Tour at the beginning of the month. You you had uh, Music City Mayhem this weekend. uh, And also New Japan Strong. I mean, there there was a ton of New Japan content, a ton of matches, but not really a lot of guys that really made their claim this month. So we're, we're going with Tomohiro Ishii. Obviously, always one of the top performers during G1 Climax season. And keeping that streak going along this year as well. Great matches with Jay White and um, Chi and Tamatonga. Tonga. Um, yep. Some really standout performances there from the B, the B Block for Tomohiro Ishii. And with that, uh, the July Rest of the Month, for me personally the highest rated match of the tournament of uh, four and a half for me, him versus Taichi. I know a lot of people are not as high on that match as I am, but I thought they went out there, killed it. And so, yeah, Ishii is our wrestler well, of the month.
1: You know, what's funny is like, I'm not as high as you on it, but I'm definitely higher than the general consensus on most of the ratings websites. And I feel like the reason it was rated so low is because it was the first night of this year's G1 and people were grading it on that g1 curve you know what i'm saying
2: yeah because i mean sometimes you get bangers on the first night but usually the first night it's like all right good little four star let's wait
1: and see what the rest of the tournament bank comes out with and then and then it turns out oh that's maybe one of the top two or three best (laughs) best matches of the whole tournament so far And it's like let's see what what kind of rating people would have been giving this shit on night nine you know what i'm saying like if that was the main event night nine people would be like oh my god that was a match of the year four and three quarters (laughs) five so um Oh, you know, wait. and the funny thing is, like, I can't prove this, but I feel like there have been many Julys for many years where Tomohiro Ishii is the winner of the match of the month because he's the top performer in the early, you know, half of a G1. So, uh, this is very fitting since uh, G1 is back in, you know, the summer and you can add eight guys to the tournament. They're still not going to out wrestle the Stone Pitbull. It doesn't matter.
2: That's right. The man always goes hard. Like you said in Dallas, the man just loves to smash and that's what he's been doing <laughs> in his G1.
1: So, um the match of the month surprisingly, and we're going to give you a review of it later this episode. It does not come from the G1 climax. If that's not an indictment in July on the state of the G1 climax, I don't know what to tell you. But uh we have selected the main event of this past weekend's Music City uh Mayhem, yeah. Okay, I was gonna say showdown, but I, I think that's <laughs> I think that's a 1980s Jim Crockett promotion pay uh, <laughs> per view. Um, the The main event, the death match, the no DQ match between John Moxley and El Desperado, and uh, we'll give you the review of that. But uh trust me, that's the match of the month.
2: Yeah, like I mentioned, we'll talk about it later. Absolutely crazy match, and yeah, like you said, when you compare what's been happening with G1. This was a real kind of standout spectacle compared to anything that we've gotten from the tournament thus far. Um, So I know with Music City Mayhem being on Fight TV and pay-per-view, I know some of you guys probably haven't ordered it. Maybe you're waiting for it to come up on NJPW World. uh, But go ahead and definitely watch it as soon as you can, whether it's on World or other sites you want to put your pirate hat on or if you you want to go through Fight TV this match is definitely worth the watch and it is our July match of the month.
1: Did you just tell everybody to put their pirate hat on?
2: I'm just saying if some people, wow. if some people want to sail the seven seas uh, to, to get a hold <laughs> of this matchup, I'm not going to blame them. Cause I don't think we asked new Japan world subscribers. We shouldn't have to pay extra to, to watch another show.
3: Uh,
2: Amen. Amen. <laughs> that 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 should be you know bundled in our subscription. Um, so don't really get it, or just wait till it ends up on World. I forget how long it takes for it to show up. Uh, maybe by the end of this week, maybe. Uh, but definitely go out and, ch- and check that out. So nice. uh, before we start talking about G One, we gotta talk about a bit of news. And you know, normally it's, it might be saved for the news section, but this this is a, a pretty you know big monumental news, especially for for this show. Uh, you know, for, <laughs> <laughs> for years, literally since the show was started in November of 2017, Josh, every so often we get the questions, why doesn't New Japan have women? When is New Japan going to have women? Why isn't there a woman's title in New Japan? Why don't New Japan use Joshi? Every so often, every few months, this question will get thrown at us over and over again. And we would give the same canned answer of why New Japan doesn't have women. But that that era is over because now there's going to be an IWGP Women's Championship. Stardom and NJPW announced the creation of this IWGP Women's Championship with the first ever title to be decided at the NJPW Stardom Show on November 20th. Stardom's English language Twitter account announced the creation of the title and clarified the belt will be primarily defended on NJPW events, but could also be defended on big stardom shows. The account also noted that the IWGP women's title will not replace stardom's world of stardom, which is the red belt and the wonder of stardom, which is the white belt as the promotions top titles. So, young boy, how, how are you feeling about this news, about an IWGP women's championship?
1: Uh, you know, Jeremy, we haven't had a lot of time to discuss this. I don't even think you and I have spent too much time. I think we spent a little time off air discussing it. But, you know, I spent a lot of time uh, throughout the week talking to Rich uh, over the past few weeks about this subject. And, um when the news first started coming out about new Japan and Stardom working together, and then they did that business uh, you know, the business meeting where they kind of made uh, they had like Kidani and different people discussing some of the, uh, the plans for new Japan moving forward. And they started talking about integration with stardom, just like, you know uh, having them on the shows and you know, having a working relationship and featuring them on Strong and everything like that. People got really excited. Uh, and that all occurred right when we had our episode with Chris, where like, you know, it was a long ass show because we were doing a G1 preview. So we didn't even really have a lot of time to really get in depth. I don't want to take up too much time because we have a lot to cover on the show. But I got to tell you, for those of you that don't know or haven't been listening long enough, your boy, the young boy, he likes to dabble in uh conspiracy theories you know i put my tinfoil (laughs) hat on from time to time and i gotta tell you this has made my spidey senses go tinglingy okay i'm pretty concerned from a couple standpoints like i really really think that this is laying the groundwork for a potential merger like a full-term merger And I'm sure there's some people listening, thinking like, oh, that would be awesome. You know, the big, the biggest men's promotion in all Japan, potentially, you know, merging with the largest woman's promotion in all Japan. And we could see it all in one place. And I mean, they're brother and sister promotions. They're owned by the same company. You know, what, what's bad about that? You know what I mean? My fear, and you know, I I have this gimmick on here where I quote unquote don't like women's wrestling, and it, I I play it up because it's you know kind of a funny running gag in a bit, but it's not actually based in reality. The reality is, even though I don't watch Joshi, I do respect it. Well, I have you're that,
2: breaking kayfabe here.
1: Yeah, I'm breaking <laughs> kayfabe here, guys. I'm pulling the the curtains back. I, I I genuinely do have the concern that this will be detrimental to Joshi long term. I do not believe, personally, and they're, they've had some clarifications come out since the initial reports that seem to indicate that they have every quote-unquote intention of keeping the company separate and operating them separately. Yeah, I believe and it I was...
2: Uh, I believe Kadani came out, had some comments saying that they were, they were, there are no plans to merge Stardom and New Japan.
1: Okay, I don't believe that at all, bro. Like, I just don't believe it. I think that... Okay, here's the first thing. Number one, um, stardom is hot right now. They're the fastest growing Japanese promotion in men or women. And they might potentially be the number two company in all of Japan right now, just based on the revenue they're, they're drawing and like how they're doing in, in different um, buildings. But there's a pretty far gap between the number two promotion in Japan and New Japan Pro Wrestling at this point. I do think that they might see how hot that product is and then look at their main moneymaker, which is new Japan and think like, wow, kind of stagnant, kind of stale. They need something to liven them up. Look at these girls. What if we could take these girls and put them on the bigger platform and generate revenue that way, you know? And I've heard the argument against it being like, well, they'd be shooting themselves in the foot because they're, getting rid of the opportunity to have two streams of revenue. And it's like, well, what if they don't believe that women's wrestling has the same kind of growth potential that an integrated company has. And the main um, example of that might be quote unquote WWE. You look at the market leader worldwide and they're integrated. And I've heard them use the same terminology being like New Japan is antiquated. They don't have integration. We need to move on with the times. These are things that are making me be like, oh, okay. So we take these girls who are supremely talented and bring them into New Japan, and and you know what I mean. Like it just makes me. It, it does really like why now? They didn't want to do it before, but all of a sudden, when things are getting hot with them and New Japan is kind of stagnant, they want to they want to start showcasing the girls out of the goodness of their heart. Like I don't <laughs> think that the, I don't think this is altruistic or intended to be a cohesive. I think it. I think that this is baby steps to integrating the companies.
2: Yeah, I think another small style like we we talked about a couple weeks ago are some of the Stardom and women will be featured on New Japan Strong tours coming up in the fall. It's like all right, so you're now integrating them into you know the Canon and New Japan Strong. I know that's kind of a separate product and show from the, you know, main new Japan product, but it's, it's still new Japan pro wrestling. These women are going to be wrestling under that banner. This title is going to be defending probably a lot on these strong tours. Uh, They're going to bring a lot of women to America and defend the title here. Um, So yeah, I mean, kind of starting off there, I think that could easily kind of snowball into them being featured more and more on new Japan until
1: a merger happens. Now, ultimately, if it does if it does work out to be exactly what they're claiming, it's going to be just a partnership where they're showcasing, you know, the talents of both companies on each other's shows. And and it's a a true partnership. I'm all for that. I'm for that all day. Like I love having the stardom girls on the shows and I wouldn't even be opposed to having the men go work stardom in some capacity. We've seen that in uh, several of the other Joshi promotions uh, as well. So, I mean, that would be cool. But, um, I just, I don't know, man, I don't usually take a firm stance on things like this. I'm usually the, like, let's see it. Let's let let it play out guy. I think that they're move. I think they're going to move forward with this. I really, really do. Um, the other thing too, is this integration of IWGP women's title. Okay. You could say that this is just going to be like, uh, a a bridging the gap kind of showcase title it's going to be like the number three title or you know like a they're claiming it's going to be below the red and the white belt but for a lot of fans because it has iwgp on it especially if they're new japan fans which is obviously the the larger platform worldwide especially for western audiences they're going to look at that they're going to think that's the top title period
3: yeah
2: you
1: know and i know they can claim and be like well. It's not going to replace the red and the white belt, but it's like to really establish it. Who do you see them putting that on? Because I think they're going to put it on like a Julia or a right. Mayu Iwatani. Well,
2: we had we have that question asked by um, MJ Dust PR. Well, first, he said, The question is for young boys specifically, does the W in IWGP now stand for women? <laughs>
3: women. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and then he said, Who would you like to see as the inaugural IWGP women's champion?
1: Well, I don't, again, I don't follow stardom like that. So I don't even have. Enough knowledge to tell you who should or shouldn't. That'd probably be a great question for One Nation Radio, which I think they recorded last night. I haven't gotten a chance to listen to this week's episode, yeah, but uh, I mean,
2: for me, I mean, I, I think Mai Iwatani would probably be the person I would put it on. I think she's the most right. recognizable stardom Joshi wrestler across the brands Western and New Japan. I think you know she's kind of like the, the Tanahashi, so to speak, of stardom. Right. And I don't I don't think she's – I mean, she's obviously going to be a top person, but I don't think she's getting pushed super hard right now um, right. In, in stardom. So I think putting the belt on her, she's a top star. She's a crossover. People know her name. She's competed here in the States a lot. I think that would be the most recognizable and probably the most um, valued name probably at this point to put it on.
1: Let me give you an example why I'm opposed to this entire notion, right? Let's assume – in an alternate universe, New Japan had a partnership with WWE and WWE being the larger promotion says we're going to start showcasing, you know, doing talent trades and having new Japan show up on our shows. And we're going to institute a WWE international championship that will be contested under new Japan rules by the new Japan wrestlers. Right. Mm -hmm. You'd have to be wondering to yourself, well, why can't we bring over the NEVER title or the IWGP US title or the World title? And they're like, well, we have to put our own branding on it and have it established under you know the bigger platform like that. All already that like is just doesn't that just set off a lot of like alarm bells right then and there? Yeah, that is that is the same thing that is happening here. They have a lot of titles and startups. They got the SWA belt, the red, the white. They got a bunch of other rainbow belts. <laughs> I, I watched a little startup. They got a bunch of belts. They got tags. They got, tags,
2: they got um, trios.
1: They got a bunch of belts. High speed. I don't understand, yeah, the high speed belt. I don't understand why they couldn't bring over one of those belts or, or a multitude of those belts on various shows to establish those belts as being representative in New Japan. They don't need an IWGP title. My feeling: This belt will be owned by New Japan. Hypothetically, what it, what is stopping New Japan from maybe after this talent partnership, maybe they start their own women's like division, either with or without Stardom? Because they got a belt now, mm-hmm. they've got a precedent. What's stopping them from gobbling up other girls, you know, internationally or on the scene? And I'm sure there's some of you who are wondering and listening, being like, well, how is that a bad thing? Well, I'm sure it's not a bad thing for the girls that would come and work there, of course. But the reality is, is all the complaints that everybody has in the States about AEW and WWE and their treatment of women and their showcase of women and how they're utilized, that is completely non existent when it comes to Joshi, unless you kill Joshi. When you kill Joshi, they just become another minor you know, part of the show, like the juniors, maybe less than. And that's my concern. I think that hypothetically, if they were to maybe eat up stardom, they could wind up firing half the the roster that they don't need, keep the ones they want, use the rest of them as freelancers if they really wanted to. And, And then the market leader, Joshi's dead. And then we're back to like the late 90s when JWA went out of business.
3: Yeah,
2: and Or,
1: I'm, I mean, All Japan Women's.
2: And I'm glad you brought up juniors, because we had a question here from Barry Wall. She says, with the announcement of an IWGP women's title for stardom, that will feature on New Japan shows, is this a concern for the juniors? I doubt it will just add a match or two and we'll cut something, and I doubt it will be the heavyweights. So, worry, will this mean reduced time for the junior division?
1: Well, the junior division isn't even really showcase that much altogether so i wouldn't say yes because i mean what at most there's two junior matches on the show um no it would probably mean on a bigger card you might get one less dad slash lines tag yeah which is probably a good thing i mean that's a net positive again i'm in favor of the partnership all day but i don't believe for a minute that they're just doing this to uh Get more, you know, FaceTime and and everything for the women. I think that this is to eventually merge them into New Japan. And for anyone that thinks I'm wrong, look at all the other times when they've been like, "Oh, the U.S. title is just going to be our belt in the in in the United States. We're going to tour all over with Ring of Honor. It's going to be how we market ourselves over there." That never happened. Oh, the never titles just for the young and up and comers. <laughs> you know think of it like nxt that never happened you know a lot of the things they say are going to happen in this company don't ever end up like coming true regardless of best intentions what's to keep this from being the same thing listen i know a lot of people think i'm probably being like too uh skeptical here but i think i'm ahead and i don't usually take a firm stance like this on these types of subjects but don't be surprised if within a year We have a full-fledged working women's division. Now, if Joshi can continue to thrive and survive in the midst of that, cool. But if it means the death of stardom, which I think it could mean stardom gets merged in, stardom becomes a sub-brand, and pretty much just utilized as like a, a farm league for New Japan, I don't think that's a good thing at all.
2: Yeah, I mean, at the end of the day, I think they're going to do what's best for business. And so yep. if they start looking at those numbers, looking at the books, and are like, know, it probably makes more sense. Let's just merge this thing. Then that's what they're going to do. But also, yeah. I, I think we're still a little ways away from that. I'll say we'll continue to monitor the story. There'll probably be moves happening towards this direction. So we'll keep an eye on it and see what happens.
1: Most of that theoretically. Theorizing is uh, the thoughts of one Joshua Smith and not Jeremy (laughs) Um,
2: And last thing here before we go to G1, they did release a uh, press release on Saturday about the November 20th show. It was revealed the event will be titled Historic Crossover. It was also announced that there will be mixed tag matches on the show with mixed tag matches, championship action, and more besides the top fight in both Male and female wrestling will meet in Ariaki and the event title reflects just that, and that comes from njpw1972.com. Fan club members will be able to purchase tickets beginning on August 18th. Tickets will go on sale to the general public beginning September 23rd. The event will take place from the Ariaki Arena in Ariyaki, Tokyo, Japan. The venue was built for the 2020 Olympics and served as the venue for volleyball competitions. Its capacity for volleyball is listed as 12,000 fans. So it'll be interesting to see what the setup will be for this New Japan stardom show.
1: Well, either way, they could just lie about the numbers like they do in WWE. So, you know, 12,000. Oh, we did 23K, you know.
3: Yeah.
1: It's not like New Japan doesn't have a history of that. Some of those dome shows, they'd be like 65,000 people. It's like, dog, it doesn't, it's not 65,000. Like, it's impossible. The
2: math is not mathing. <laughs> All right. Now let's talk about G1 Climax 32. You know, we're, we're about the, the halfway point uh, into the tournament. So normally when we get to this point in the tournament, we kind of go block by block, talk about each competitor, the matches they've had. So it's going to be a little bit different here with the four blocks. So we're going to go through each uh, of the four blocks. And, you know, some guys didn't wrestle. So we might just kind of gloss over some of the guys who haven't wrestled. Maybe just give a quick thought. But we'll talk about the guys who did wrestle over these last few nights, the matches that happened uh, between uh, nights 7 through 10. And, yeah, give our thoughts on all that stuff.
1: Let's do this, Jeremy, because you and I, we don't have the best track record of this. When we've already discussed the match, Let's not. And then we come back. Like for instance, we're at to t- talk about Okada Fale. When we get down to Fale, we don't have to continue to add on to uh, the thoughts of it. Let's clear it the first time. And I'm not saying that for you. I'm saying that for me. I've got this bad <laughs> tendency. Yeah. For All right. Well, I know we talked about this, but uh, I want to throw another. No. Like, let's move <laughs> on.
2: All right, so we'll start with the A block. So as of this recording, leading the A block is the Rainmaker, Kazuchika Okada, with six points. So he only had one match in this past stretch of shows, and that was on night nine, where he defeated Bad Luck Fale, 11 minutes and 52 seconds.
1: You know, I don't have too much to really say about this particular match. The one thing I will kind of throw out there, and it's not a new thought, Vale um, probably his best opponent in New Japan. If it's not Tanahashi, it probably is Okada. He just tends to work harder when it's Okada, and they have really good chemistry with one another. And I didn't think this match was by any means like a great match, but it was pretty good and Fale worked hard and Okada did his best to make him look as good as possible and um i, I liked the finish too with the uh the set out money the, clip the new mod- modified version of the money clip where he uh just kind of got him out of there quick with that at the end
2: yeah i enjoyed this match a lot this was probably one of the better Fale's matches i've seen in a while like you mentioned uh him and okada have great chemistry together i mean it's it's kind of pro wrestling 101 you know the big guy's outpowering the smaller guy. The smaller guy has his speed. The small guy also wants to show his strength and try to, you know, slam the bigger guy, which Okada did uh, eventually. So it's kind of this pro wrestling one-on-one basic tropes with the, the the bigger heel and and the smaller baby face. And uh, yeah, it was a very to me. I think it was a very entertaining match. Very good um, back and forth to hear. Like I said, Volley always works hard for Okada, and then. Like we mentioned last week with Okada now doing that, you know, that modified version of the money clip looked a lot more painful and was able to apply that on Fale, get Fale out of there. And so, yeah, I enjoy this quite a bit.
1: The the other thing, too, with Okada leading the block, we're starting to see how everything's going to shake out with these smaller modified, you know, um, fields. And Okada is undefeated at this point. And if he wins his next match, that will in essence eliminate probably about half the field because most of these guys only have like, say two points. I know not all of them have been as active, but you know, once Okada goes four and everybody that has two losses, that's already lost to him. They lose all their tiebreakers. They're done. Anybody that has three losses, they're done, you know? Mm-hmm. So that's going to, you know, if you were anticipating a possibility of Okada losing to keep people alive and keep things going, whoever he wrestles next, that's a good person to pick, possibly. Yeah. Which I think it's Tom Lawler, right?
2: Um, I think so. Let me uh, scroll down here to the schedule, see if I can see who is next. If he wrestles in this next coming up week.
1: Um... Yeah, so... And that's the no, hard so, part. No, his
2: his next person is Jonah. Is Jonah on exactly. uh my wedding day,
1: August seventh. Okay, gotcha. So yeah, that's one to keep in mind. But um, Okada for sure. Just generally speaking about the block, I mean, it's no surprise to anybody that he's outperforming, in my opinion, everybody in the block. But I do think it's a little surprising how wide the margin is. Because uh, this monster block is not monstering the way I thought it was going
2: to monster, bro. Dude, you know, I was kind of a little hesitant on this block. You know, a lot of people were, were getting excited. You know, New Japan was promoting, you know, monster block. And, you know, Imp and I, a couple weeks ago, had talked about, you know, it'd be cool to have a block of, you know, beefy guys. You know, you have, like, Cobb and Chingo and some of these other, like, bigger guys. And uh, what they did here, I mean, they, they put some big guys in here, but... I'm not quite sure if it's what's the best combination of the big guys.
1: Well, it's, it's a style thing. It's like, okay, big beefy monster dudes wrestling each other. I'm all about that. That's what wrestling's built on. But there's this other thing where it's like, they need to hit each other hard and they need to be intense and they need to have wars and they need to be suplexing the fuck out of each other. You know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, these matches are short. They're not like, you know, living up to what I thought it was going to be. And so, yeah, I mean, it's uh for for anybody that was out there that looked at that A block and thought, mm, I don't know, you were right. And uh, <laughs> all of us who were uh, excited about it, we were probably wrong.
2: So, yeah, so that's pretty much it for Okai, like you mentioned, yeah, leading the block. And, yeah, somebody's going to need to knock him off quickly. if
1: But but he's already, I mean, he's leading the block easily, the MVP. He gave Yano his best match. He gave Cobb his best match. He gave Fale his best match. And, I'm not going to be surprised if the same is said of Lawler, Archer, and Jonah.
2: Yeah. Let's look at the next guy here. Bad luck Fale's in with four points. So on night seven, he defeated Toro Yano. Five and 36 seconds, like we mentioned, on night nine, he lost to Okada.
1: Yeah, so night seven, um, the match with Yano was not good. It was short. There was a lot of shenanigans. The thing is, Fale went into that match with a dismal, abysmal record against Yano. Yano always outsmarts him and always beats him. And on this night, Fale had him too much scouted and was able to give him a taste of his own medicine, gave him a low blow and a giant monster roll up. And when a big man like that rolls you up, there's not much you can do about it. But this was a pretty bad match on a pretty bad G1 night.
2: Yeah, this was, like I said, not great, pretty rough Um yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a typical Fale-Yano match for all shenanigans, and Yano trying to, you know, do his tricks on Fale. But like you mentioned, you know, Fale, he spent a lot of time in, in the Fale Dojo rewatching all the tapes against him and Yano, and finally figured out the formula. Like you mentioned, was able to use a schoolboy on Yano to get the win there. And go. he went into that Okada match with um, a pretty good record, and so he had four points going into the Okada match. And so, yeah, eat the L there and come in as of right now, kind of second place with four points.
1: So next up, we have Jeff Cobb. He is sitting at four points uh, on night nine. He defeated Lance Archer at 11 minutes, 37 seconds with a tour of the islands. And uh, I got to tell you, I was um, this match was OK. But considering the two principles involved, I thought it was going to be a lot better. And it was a lot more sluggish and kind of awkward than I had anticipated.
2: Oh, I enjoyed this match a ton. Uh, dude, oh. And so so was the crowd. The crowd was like ooing and awing for like every big move these guys were doing, which made the match even more enjoyable. I mean, these guys were doing big moves to each other. Uh, Archer did this big like choke slam to Cobb in the ring and on, on the apron. Um, Cobb was, you know, muscling Archer around as well. And these guys were doing some pretty big uh, moves to each other. You know, Cobb is not a guy that really takes a lot of big bumps just because he's you know such a monster, and he's you know, he's a strong guy in matches. Um, but he, he was taking a lot of bumps here for Archer, and Archer was doing some bumps here for Cobb. And, yeah, I thought it was a very enjoyable, very hard-hitting, uh, fun matchup.
1: Yeah, well, I wouldn't call it not fun. It was definitely – it was the opener of that night, I believe, and it was definitely fun. And everything you're saying is true. It's just – I don't know, considering, like, the – like level of G1 matches both of these guys have had in the past. I was hoping for something a little bit more. Mm -hmm. And um I did think that the size differential was a little just kind of cumbersome and awkward. Like they worked hard, they took big bumps, they did crazy stuff, but there was like a lot of just kind of weird like I mean look at look at their bodies. Like (laughs) Bob is like short and stocky and Archer is long and tall and like there was a lot of moves where I was like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it was definitely fun, and the crowd was definitely into it. Not, obviously, they're into it because both these guys are over, but um, I'm not sure. I mean, I, I don't know. I probably would have gone like three and a quarter on this. Uh, I
2: think I think, I think it went three and a half. Uh, but, yeah, you know, Archer, you had Archer doing, you know, the cannonball dive off the apron, hits Cobb. That part, and, he hit him in the young lion. That was yeah, tight. I think it was uh, Nakashima. Oh, Archer's doing the rope walk, and Cobb pulls him off into the spin cycle suplex. Great spot. That was
1: cool.
2: Yeah, um, yeah. There's so many cool spots like the Archer hitting the pounce
1: on um, Cobb, and of course at the end, Cobb hit him with the uh, tour of the islands. Which, like, for him to even get him up was pretty wild. Yeah. So yeah, really
2: fun matchup, and this was a, a very important win here for Jeff Cobb. Was like you mentioned, he's already lost to Okada. So the more Okada wins, and the more he loses, definitely you know decreases his chances of winning this block. Like so he pretty much has to win. Every match going forward to stay alive here. So this is a very important matchup for him to win.
1: Nice. So uh behind him we've got the rest of the block. Everybody else is tied with two. Some people have been more active than others. But uh we got Yano and um on night seven we already talked about him losing to Balak falle and then on night ten, he was defeated by filthy Tom Lawler. Ten minutes and thirteen seconds.
2: Yeah, so this was a very important match for Filthy Tom. He was coming in this match 0 2. You know, cut a very impassioned promo about, you know, some of the hardships that he's been experiencing. Um, You know, his mother had to go in the hospital and a couple other stuff like that. You know, he's been having a really rough time and eating some losses here in the G1. And so it's kind of a make or break matchup for him. And this is a match, if you listen to uh, the Filthy Four Daily Show of him and Brian Alvarez, he's been looking forward to Wrestling uh, Toriano And he said, you know, initially he said he was going to try and make Yano wrestle, because we all know Yano has that uh, Collegiate, you know, amateur wrestling Background, Filthy Tom, uh, former MMA fighter, former amateur wrestler In his own rights, and so
1: And former strong, open weight champion Yeah, and so (laughs) his
2: his whole plan He was going to make Yano wrestle I listened to Filthy 4 today And he's like, no, Alvarez was like Tom, you you can't Out-wrestle Yano, like, you're down Two points, like You've already tried, you know, being the badass MLA fighter two times. It hasn't worked. You need to out Yano Yano.
1: That is <laughs> and, what he did.
2: Yeah, and that's what we saw here. You know, Matt started off with a funny a DVD exchange. Uh filthy Tom was trying to exchange Sister Act one and two on DVD, on DVD for, for Yano's DVD. Um and you're not Yano tried Yano to Yano gave f- him the DVD. He tried to finesse this man, he opened the case up. It was empty.
1: Oh, I mean, just the case. He gave him the the DVD case. Yeah. (laughs) Luckily, there wasn't any powder or gimmick in it. But yeah, he uh, he finessed the man. He gave him the case. There was no DVD in it, you know, and he got Sister Act one and two, which are collectibles. Yeah. (laughs) You know, over in uh, Japan, they're all like still on DVDs. Like they don't stream like we do. Right. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, yeah, he definitely was able to get Yano to wrestle quite a bit, though. Like they really showcased a lot of the like grappling and technical acumen in the early parts of the match which you know for those of you that might not have uh, been as familiar with that aspect of Yano's like career he is a very accomplished technical wrestler but uh i think what most people are remember is like all the shenanigans with uh, the multiple pants that everybody was wearing <laughs> in this match
2: yeah philly tom had a couple different uh pairs of the the short shorts on we saw the duct tape. And so did Yano. And so did Yano, yeah. We saw the duct tape come out. He taped up Royce Isaacs to the outside, to the the barricades. Um, and then, of course, towards the end here, there, the ref was down, and Yano was going for his signature low blow. But Filthy Tom came prepared, had a cup on, was able to you know deflect the low blow, and was able to hit the nasty knee on the brain and put Yano out to get
1: the win. Yep and that's the first utilization of that move that we've seen from Tom Lawler in Japan proper so uh and that's a big one for him because he was already down two losses in the tournament and as we discussed like if you get down to 3 you know you're pretty much done yano on the other hand has that was his third loss so that pretty much eliminated him from the block so thank you tom lawler
2: yeah and, you know, I expect the same with Yann just going forward. A lot of shenanigans. He'll probably have, you know, everybody's worst match maybe in this block. Maybe, maybe Fale could be a second to that, but it, Yano's going to Yano. Uh
1: The next guy we have to discuss, Jonah, he's sitting at two points on night eight. He came into a pretty big match with Tom Lawler and he was able to defeat Tom 11 minutes, 32 seconds. And this is a match between arguably the two most dominant forces in new Japan strong meeting in one-on-one competition for the first time
2: yeah and they've already kind of started doing a little like team filthy team TMDK, TMDK feud on strong and then also on the undercards leading up to this and there was a lot of tags where it was Tom and Isaacs against Jonah and bad dude Tito so this match kind of had a lot of build to it and I enjoy this quite a bit Kind of similar formula to that Okada folly match I was talking about earlier where you have the, the smaller competitor in the match is trying to outpace the bigger guy. You know, Tom, he's trying to use a submission game. He's trying to choke uh, Jonah out. He's trying to take the leg out. He targeted uh, Jonah's leg and, you know, was trying to slow him down that way. But uh, this Jonah, man, he was too big. He was too strong. He was outpowering Tom at, at, at every corner. And it came down to the end where he hit that big torpedo splash, one, two, three, put Filthy Tom away.
1: Yeah, and that was an interesting one from uh, Jonah, just because he lost his first match to Yano. We talked about during the preview; he's he was going to have a long period of uh, inactivity, which I think was the longest stretch in the whole tournament, like eleven or twelve nights. So, you know, from the kind of rebound from a big loss there and then pick up the big win against Tom Lawler puts him, you know, gives him a lot of forward momentum. And he's, again, he's coming up against Okada, Okada streak, streaking three, and zero, undefeated. And Jonah still has at this point, four matches we're halfway through the tournament, but he still has four matches left to go. Like he's probably the most well-rested individual of the entire tournament. And he's one of the largest monsters in the entire block. So like, i'm not saying we'll we'll get to the review the preview but like i think that okada's got a big task in front of him if okada beats jonah it's pretty much smooth sailing for the most part i mean yes he still needs to win the rest of his matches but like he'll have effectively eliminated a lot of the field but if jonah beats him that puts jonah in very very real contention to win the a block from a just a mathematical standpoint
2: yeah, that'll put him in a very good position. And I gotta say, with Jonah and with Filthy Tom, both these guys have been getting over big time with the crowds. Um Jonah, just his size and his power, like like I mentioned, in a, you know, non vocal crowd, he's getting a ton of oohs and ahs every time he wrestles, hits these big moves, especially that, that big torpedo splash. It was the first time I believe he did it in Japan and yeah, the crowd, you know, big ooh and off ah for that when he jumped off the top rope and landed on filthy tom. Um, So, yeah, this was a, you know, kind of a uh, rugged kind of match here with Jonah with the big power moves, the big strikes, Tom going for the submissions, uh, but really good match up here. Yeah, Jonah gets the win.
1: Yeah, pretty awesome. Uh, We've already discussed the rest of the A-block matches, but just very quickly, Lance Archer, he's sitting at two points, and at this point, he has a win over Falei. No, a loss to Folly, a loss to Cobb, and then a win over Tom Lawler. He still has three matches to go. So he's right on that cusp of basically needing to win everything else because he already has two losses, one more loss, and he's pretty much done. And he still has Okada, Yano, and Jonah to go. And Okada's his final opponent on the last night. So I would say probably just considering his status with AEW and, and – the way they've booked him so far, he's probably going to beat Yano, probably going to beat Jonah, and then maybe be alive on that last night going against Okada. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And potentially it could be a situation where if he beats Okada, he wins. They could also do a situation where if he beats Okada, Jonah gets through depending on the math. Um, So that's kind of what I'm looking at there, you know?
2: Yeah. Also, Lance Archer was on commentary on today's show for night 10. And I thought he did a great job. Him and Kevin Kelly uh, oh yeah, added a lot to the commentary.
1: Yeah, it was very clear that Archer's not actively keeping up with the promotion. There's a, yeah. lot, of, <laughs> a lot of questions he had, but they weren't bad questions by any means. Like They were like smart, poignant things that like someone who maybe also is new to the product or hasn't been keeping as close attention they'd probably be wondering the same thing. So it kind of helped Kevin film those gaps, which I thought was uh, kind of a nice touch and sort of, you know, authentic. It was genuine, you know? Yeah. And then finally, we got uh, Tom Lawler. He is also at two points. He's got lost to Jonah, lost to Archer, and then he beat Yano. And he still has Okada Cobb, Ballet uh, on the docket. He's another guy that's sort of on that chopping block where with one more loss, he's done. And that he he is one of the few guys with two points that still has Okada on the horizon and a win over Okada could turn his whole fortunes around.
2: Yeah, I know. I'm starting to think he is going to beat Okada just with kind of the slow start that he had. And I think he's going to pick up some momentum here. I think he's going to be one of the guys that can hold off um, Okada here.
1: So what are you thinking? Lawler and Jonah beat Okada and then he's, you know, three and two going against Archer. Yeah. You think that? I'm not so sure about that. I, mean, I, I don't know. It, it could. If if you want, yeah, wanna, if, it, it's so hard to predict these small blocks.
2: Yeah, I mean, if you want to, now it, that we're
1: seeing it like fold out, you just don't know.
2: Right. I think if you want to make it interesting, I think that's the way to do it. So Okada's on a hot streak right now. Then you have him slow down. I mean, Jonah he can get hurt in the Jonah match, which can open up things for Tom to beat him. Um, then he comes into that Archer match hurt and down two losses. Um, and then it really makes you question whether or not he can beat Archer.
1: I really don't know where they're going, but uh, if that's exactly what happens, you heard it here first from uh, <laughs> <Yeah>. Jeremy Donovan.
2: <laughs> and uh, Philly Tom, he was also on commentary. I believe that was on night nine. I thought he did a great job um, as well on commentary. And we had a question here
3: from.
1: There, Bear. Real quick, before we get to the question, there's a few times where he started to lose his voice mid show. And I swear to God. He sounded like uh, Don Callis (laughs) because I like sometimes I watch portions of the show while I'm like working. Right. So I'm not always actively looking at it and I like I I hear him talking and then I look over and I'm like like Don (laughs) and it's like oh no it's it's filthy but like he just sounds like Don in this moment and then it you know and then it passes he like clears his throat and then he's himself again.
2: Man, I I miss Don Callis on New Japan Commentary. (laughs) Uh, We had a question here from Barry Wall. He said, on Filthy Tom's booking in the G1 so far, does it make strong as a product look bad or hard to take seriously when the guy who only lost one one one-on-one match in a whole year loses his first two singles appearances on the main roster?
1: Well, I mean, I don't think anybody's under the illusion that new japan strong is seen as equal to new japan how many guys from new japan that are big stars have ever come over and actually dropped a pinfall loss to anybody from new japan strong you know nobody jay white ishii like most of those guys they don't come over and lose
2: um i think suzuki's probably
1: the only guy who's maybe he did i don't know Yeah, he lost (laughs) didn't he lose to uh brody king the brody king Uh, yeah but that wasn't on new japan strong that was on the pay-per-view well still part of strong it's not (laughs) it's not it's truly not part of strong that's a new japan proper pay-per-view in the u.s
2: okay i guess that's
1: true yeah um yeah so i mean the other thing too is like you have to also take into uh, consideration that these are all completely new opponents that he's never faced it's the g1 it's a, a you know uh a type of tournament that he's never competed in and neither has Jonah and both of them eight pinfall losses. Plus let's not kid ourselves. Who goes undefeated in the G one period. it's like, yeah, his booking hasn't been great so far, but you got to let it play out. It's kind of early days. Did anybody think that Tom Lawler coming into this tournament was going to just wipe the floor with the monster block when he's the smallest guy in the monster block? Like, let's get real. That's not what his purpose is here, like, at all. I do think that he's going to break out from this tournament and make a name for himself and have an incredible showing, but, like, Dave, I think that he's going to be, like, a, a serious, credible, major threat.
2: Right. Um Yeah, I mean, as a New Japan strong viewer, of course I would love to see him book strong and, you know, get some more wins earlier on, but like you mentioned we still got several more matches to go for him. And you mentioned he's the smallest guy in this uh, monster block. And, again, if you look at the profiles, too, of some of the newer guys, like Tom Lawler doesn't really have a huge wrestling profile to the, quote-unquote, say, casual fan. Uh, right. If you don't watch MLW, if you haven't been watching New Japan Strong, you might not be really familiar with Tom's work versus a guy like Jonah who's been on WWE NXT, who's had that bigger, you know, promote, uh, you know, wider view, even being on Impact, you know, he's had more exposure, I would say, to the quote-unquote casual fan and to New Japan's eyes. We know how they love former WWE people. So the fact that Jonah is already starting to pick up some more wins here um, and being probably maybe looking stronger totally makes sense to in my eyes.
1: Yeah, totally agree with that. So let's move on uh, quickly to the B block where we start off with the IWGP World Heavyweight Champion, the point leader, undefeated, six points, 3-0, and Jay White. And he was successful on um, night nine as he defeated uh, fellow Bell- Bullet Club member Chase Owens, 13 minutes and 12 seconds.
2: Yeah, so there was a, a lot of build to this matchup on the undercards. These guys were having miscommunications and a lot of the multi-man tag matches. And then when this match started, you know, it was a con- the normal bull club trope of one guy wanting the other guy to lay down for the other. So in this situation, Jay wanted Chase to lay down for him, but he was going to pay Chase. They, they had made an agreement that Jay was going to give him, you know, a certain amount of money to, you know, do the job and lay down and, you know, have Jay move on. And so, you know, Jay, he pulls out the envelope, gives, you know, hands it over to Chase. And Chase's like, okay. And he's like, let me count it. Jay like, no, 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 no. Like, don't, don't worry about it. It's all in there. It's all in there. He grabs the envelope. He, he gives it to the, the ring announcer. He's like, we're good. It's all in there, brother. It's good. Let's let's do his plan. Lay down. And Chase is like, okay, okay, okay. Then he rolls out. He powders. He's like, gets the, the envelope pulls it out. There's a bill in there, a real bill pulled out again, another real bill. And then the blank started coming out a bunch of <laughs> blank paper. This man, Jay white was trying to finesse. He loaded the envelope with a bunch of just blank paper. And uh chase Owens was not about that. And so, you know, big disagreement there, big argument. And, you know, Gail's trying to play the peacekeeper out on the outside. And then these guys go on to, ha- to have a match. they, At points, you know, Jay was trying to hold back a little bit, but then they would get frustrated with each other, hit some big spots. Chase was busting out, you know, C triggers and Styles clashes to to get near falls and uh, ended up having a pretty good back-and-forth match here. Jay able to hit him eventually with the Blade Runner and get the win.
1: Yeah, the match actually ended up being pretty good after the bull Club, like, you know, inter, you know, divisional, like, uh, shenanigans in the early part which they tend to do in most bull club matches so you just kind of have to get used to it i guess yeah but uh they really like put chase in a position to where like he really pushed jay to his limits and had him in trouble and was moments away from defeating jay white so it's like man someone likes chase owens like someone in that office really likes this guy because they've done so much for him over the past couple years to really like push him forward and this is a moment where they made him look like a, uh, not like a true title contender, but like someone that like, you just never know on any given night, he might have the goods. And uh, that's kind of the, the message they they put here. Also, um, I mean, actually I'm mistaken. I was going to say, for some reason I was going to say, uh, uh Tangalo was on commentary, but that was for uh, Music, Music City. City yeah. Yeah. But um, yeah, but, uh, they were like, Who was on commentary for that show? Was that Tom Lawler? Yeah, I think think that was Tom, yeah. Yeah, he was like, man, you don't want to, like, if I'm Jay White, I don't ever want to cross this (laughs) dude ever again because, like, you know, he might put your title in jeopardy. You just never know.
2: Yeah, and Gato, of course, cracking me up on the outside as well, trying to keep the peace.
1: Well, also, like, trying to keep the peace, but also trying to keep uh, Jay White as champion. And he was like, there's a point where, like, he was getting ready to put Jay up in the package pal driver and he's like no chase no you're <laughs> like the money's in the back the money's in the back i promise i
2: promise we have the money we have it i'll get it it's in the Just, back no. oh. so that, that was,
1: even, even in the beginning when he like laid down and like jay's like no you're I, I see how you're laying like i'm gonna go to pin you you're gonna roll me up you're gonna try to win like no and then like he's like i'm laying down he's like you're not laying down right he's like I'm laying down. He's like, Gato, he's not laying down right.
2: <laughs> he's like, follow the plan, champ, follow the plan.
1: <laughs> yeah, the whole thing was pretty funny, oh actually. God. Yeah. Now, um, Jay is undefeated, right? And he is in a very similar situation to Okada. Three wins, and he has Chi, Tengaloa, and Okan coming up. His next uh, match is scheduled to be against Okan here in the next few days. So, very similar situation that I laid out there, where it's like anybody that has two losses is pretty close to being on the chopping block. Anybody that already has three is probably done. And anybody with two and has also lost to him, they're like, if he wins his next match, they're essentially done.
2: Mm Mm-hmm. And like I predicted on the preview show, I think he's going to go undefeated in the whole block. And as of right now, that, that's happening. But, again, it could be a similar situation with Okada. If they want to create drama in the closing stretch, you could have him eat a loss of two guys, especially if you want to set up some maybe some fall tile defenses. So you mentioned he has Okan uh, next, and we'll talk about Okan a little bit later. But he is at the bottom of the block, and he's in that spot you mentioned where he he has uh, two losses and so Ocon really needs to get on the board. So if Ocon were to lose to Jay White, that would be pretty detrimental to the future of his tournament here. And He'd pretty much be out. And if if he, if he Jay beats him, I think it's pretty clear that Jay is probably just going to go all the way and be undefeated, or maybe you have Tamatanga give him that one loss towards the end there maybe. But I think Jay is definitely winning this block.
1: Well, you know, normally, if someone is even threatening to go undefeated in a block, you normally need to have someone that kind of poses the potential risk to, you know, upsetting them and keeping them out of contention. And I mean, I think we're looking at Tamatanga there like, yeah, he took a loss to Ishii, but he's the guy he's facing at the end of the the block. He's You know, he has four points at this point. So you might be right there. Like, I'm not saying Jay White's for sure going to go undefeated, but if he were, he needs to have a credible threat going into the final nights, which means Tamatonga needs to, because at this point, there's almost nobody else in the block that could reasonably be that guy to defeat him, except, and, and by defeat him, I mean, Pass him in the points total. The only two guys that really look like they could do that in my book right now are pretty much Tai Chi and Tamatonga. Tai Chi has been highly inactive in this block. He still has four matches to go, and that kind of keeps things open for him. But Tamatonga is the only guy that has him still. Down the line, and also has enough mathematical points to potentially also be the person to upset him, and even maybe be the person to pass him himself. So,
2: right, uh, and it's also a blood feud as well. You we know, there's a lot of you know bull right. club story surrounding Jake King Tama out of bull club, so you can get kind of a big matchup there because they haven't really had a match since Jay booted him out of the bull club. So this could be the big first time matchup between these two. And Tama could pull the upset here.
1: But I think a lot of the speculation had been, well, Tama could be the guy to upset him on the final night and allow someone else to pass through. Mm. But the way it's going with Chase and Okan and Sonata and Ishii, I'm not really convinced that any of those guys could be the man to pass to be the one who gets the buy based on Tama Tonga beating him. Uh, At this point, the only two people that reason, and of course, I haven't done the perfect math, but it looks like it's probably either Taichi or or Tamatanga. And most likely, based on the booking, I'm just going to guess, expect Tamatanga to be winning most of his matches from here on out to be plausible to potentially defeat Jay.
2: Yeah. So moving on to the next guy. Cole Skull, Sonata, he has four points on night eight. He defeated the great Ocon 16 minutes, 35 seconds. On night 10, he lost to Tamatanga, 16 minutes and 28 seconds.
1: You know, Sonata is doing what Sonata does in these situations, especially in recent years. He's having probably what i would call better than expected matches but nothing that's truly great and nothing that truly gets me excited you know if you put him in there with the right opponent like a zack saber jr someone he has a you know proven track record of of you know chemistry then there's something there's usually something there but with these guys the matches were fine he definitely like busts out all the big you know spots that you get excited for but there was nothing for me to really, truly invest in when it comes to Sonata at all. Um, and I mean, I can't even think of too many things to really differentiate between these matches. They went roughly the same amount. Sonata won against O'Connor, he lost against Tamatanga. You know, there's a lot of great near falls with uh, the cold skull and with the uh, O'Connor role and all that stuff. But I don't know. And even the moonsault, but like, I really do feel like when people talk about like, oh, it's not all just about wrestling. There has to be character work. Well, that's never been more apparent when it comes to a guy like Sonata. And I mean, it's 2022. And we're talking about this, not 2017, (laughs) you know, it's been five, six, seven, eight years. This guy, I think this guy came in in 2016. So, you know, that's how long we've been talking about, like him taking, going into the next gear and the next level. And so, um,
2: Well, I think it's the thing that we've been saying. It's Sonata wrestles up to the level of who he's in there with. Um, So if he's in there with a Zack Sabre Jr., a Will Ospreay, a Kazuchika Okada, he's going to give you a a four-star plus match. He's going to have a really great match that people are talking about. But then you put him in there with a great Okan, a a Tamatanga, guys that are more on that mid-card level. that's the kind of effort he's going to put out. He's not going to to go out of his way to try and elevate these guys or to have a match of the night or match of the year contender. He's going to kind of wrestle to their levels, and like you mentioned, it'll be a good match, but it's not always something you can sink your teeth into or get excited about. Um, Mm -hmm. You you know, the great O'Connor match, I thought it it was a great kind of showcase for... Uh, Oconn's grappling, like we mentioned, Sonata showcases the grappling normally against uh, Zach Saber Jr. So I thought they had a lot of great grappling um, in that match and kind of highlighted some of Ocon's strengths. But in the end, uh, Sonata was able to get the win there. In the Tan Tonga match, you know both of those guys are known for being you know really fast and having you know great athletic athletic encounters stuff like that. So a lot of great you know some of the speed spots there, some of the counters. Um, There was a A catch into was it the catch into the cold skull
1: yeah he went he went for a a gun stun and he caught it into a cold skull neck you know neck crank which was pretty crazy that was kind of the story of the match tamatanga continuously trying to catch him with the gun stun and just not being able to get it until finally he did get it but it took four attempts before it actually landed yeah
2: Um, It's not a, you know, he does have four points, but he's already lost to Jay White. So that definitely lowers his chance. That kind of puts him in that that Jeff Cobb position where he's got to start, uh, you know, really running up some wins here if he wants a shot at doing it. Um, But, you know, I I just feel like he's kind of lukewarm right now coming off of the the, uh, the orbital bone injury. And I I just have a hard time seeing him be a guy that's going to be alive towards the end or potentially win this block.
1: I think we're at the point where we're already starting to see Sonata slowly drift down the card and get passed up. Yeah. I think that, you know, sometimes things like that happen and it's not so apparent until you look back and it's more like a hindsight thing, sort of like what juice was like a few years ago mm-hmm. or even Goto. But but uh, I think we're there with Sonata. I think that there've been enough guys that come into the company that have already surpassed him. And for everyone that was wondering for where, wins his moment coming and wins his time in the sun i think that that sun has already set and we're past it yeah and uh as far as his standing yeah he's two and two and he's got two more matches to go he needs to win both of them and he needs jay white to lose two three three or three matches. yeah three yeah so sonata is essentially done yeah i have that's that's why i'm like anyone that has two losses and has already lost to jay they're pretty much done yeah because he's because Anyone who's in that position needs the undefeated guy to lose all three.
2: And Jay is not losing
1: three. Right. So Sonata already out of there. Yeah. And so is Chase. And so is Ishigi.
2: Yeah. So then also so. with uh, four points, we got Tama Tonga on night seven. He lost to Tomohiro Ishii, 20 minutes, seven seconds, the main event, Cork and Hall. That, like we mentioned on night 10, he was able to defeat Sonata.
1: Yeah, I mean, uh, we already kind of covered the Sonata win. I think that just from an optics standpoint, the Sonata win was very important because we haven't seen him in a G1 like this beating this many top contenders before. We've seen him perform on a high level, but get picking up the W's is what matters in this kind of kayfabe, and so that was a big thing. And then the Ishii match, um ishii's in the past been one of tamatonga's best opponents and so far in this tournament i think I, I i haven't been individually rating these like you have but i think that that's pro- that was probably tamatonga's best match of the tournament so far i think i was close to four stars on it and it probably was one of the reasons we gave ishii wrestler of the month
2: yeah i want four stars on that uh matchup as well um cork and hall had a lot of great energy the crowd was really uh into that matchup and just kind of scrolling back through my ratings here yeah i do i do think that is um the highest rated uh Tamatonga match of the tournament that i have so yeah definitely tam
1: was the best performance so far yeah so i mean i've been pretty impressed with Tamatonga. like um i'm not gonna sit here and say he is far and away like showing that he's absolutely a tip top guy in new Japan. Like he's deserving to be top six. No, not at all. Just yet. But he's also not someone that I feel like is wasting his moment. Like say Dave Finley, Mm. he's a guy that is going out there and really making a connection and trying his hardest to showcase all of his skills. And he's finding these spots, like the spot where he takes off the vest and he shows his, new physique which is pretty impressive mm-hmm. and he's working in a lot of the high flying fast paced exciting flashy stuff that we liked about him in his tag matches and incorporating that into cohesive matches where he's not looking out of place like he definitely doesn't look like for instance as much as I love O'Con and we'll, we're going to talk about him I still don't think O'Con always looks like a guy that deserves to be in the mix I think Mm -hmm. he's a little inconsistent. Tamatonga for a year now has not looked inconsistent. And at any point when he's been put in a singles, uh, in a singles role, he's definitely not like a guy where I'm like, okay, he's on the caliber of like an Osprey and Ishii or a Shingo. But I would rather watch his matches at this point than Sonata. Oh yeah, definitely. You know, I think he's doing fantastic basically. And I, And it's not just that his matches are good, but the crowd is so invested in what's happening with him. And, like, right now, the match with Jay White is maybe one of the most anticipated matches of the whole G1. Yeah,
2: that's going to be a huge matchup. So, yeah, I'm looking forward to that.
1: Nice. Now, um, we're at Tai Chi. He's got two points, but, again, he's only had two matches, and he still has four matches to go. So he's kind of the dark horse of this block where... He kind of has the field wide open where some of these guys, um, you know, like uh, tournaments already decided for them. There's no telling what might happen with Tai Chi from here on out. And considering that he's one of the hardest hitting and more strong style, you know, um, versed guys in this block, you could probably expect a lot of really great matches to come out of him for the remainder of the tournament.
2: Yeah. Tai Chi definitely has a great shot of, Getting some wins and really controlling the destiny of this B block, he did not have any matches in this, this last stretch, so he'll be back in action um, this weekend and can you know make his campaign to start making a shot at winning this B block.
1: Nice. So next we have uh, Tomohira Ishii. He's sitting at two points. He uh, defeated Tamatonga on night seven. And then on night 10, which was today, he was defeated by the great Okan in 12 minutes, 59 seconds, giving him his third loss and effectively eliminating him mathematically from the tournament. So at this point, Ishii is already out of the contention for B-Block.
2: Yeah, not really surprising. Also, we kind of know where Ishii is slotted and how he gets booked, and especially with the rumors that this could potentially be his last G1 climax uh, It, it kind of makes sense I mean in the last several years he's kind of a guy That usually kind of finishes like 4 and 5 maybe 5 and 4 But usually kind of that Lower half maybe 500 Record so I, I, I can see him Ending this tournament 3 and 3 Which would, would put him at 6 and then um, With a smaller block 6 looks good um, But he'll be still you know, mathematically eliminated Very early on because he's, he's, already, he's already Done right now um, but you no, know, it's it's Ishii, he's going to go out there Whether he wins or loses, he's, he's going to have um, you know, Very good, two great matches We already talked about the Tonga match I thought the, the great Okan match was very good It was kind of short, it was only 12 minutes and 59 seconds um, So I don't think Ishii kind of pulled out the full playbook for that matchup But I still thought it was a,
1: a great way to kick off uh, the night 10 set of matches Now he has Sonata and Chase Owens in front of him, and those are both guys that are game that he can have good matches with. But at the same time, not those aren't matches where I'm like, oh shit, like you know what I mean. And I think that that's one of the um, downsides of like a tournament format like this. We're seeing where like Ishii is like far and away probably the top performer in the block, but he's already eliminated, and the two guys he has left aren't necessarily matches that are going to light the world on fire. I wouldn't be surprised considering that Chase and Sonata are both essentially probably eliminated if Ishii defeats both of them and winds up, you know, three and three with six points to kind of give him something a little bit respectable at the end. Although, I wouldn't be surprised if he ends up, like, with four points (laughs) at the end.
2: Yeah, but I, I think they'll try to keep him at the, that six-point level. Like I said, in a block like this, having six points, I think, at the end of
1: the day, it looks fine. Well, the thing is, if Ishii defeats Sonata, that would be the true like nail in the coffin for Sonata in the block because, I mean, he's not technically eliminated until Jay has lost either that or if Jay wins one more match. One right. or the other. Yeah. So, um, aside from that, we have Chase, where he talked about his match with uh, Jay White um you know like i mentioned he's pretty much eliminated as well but i do think that chase is making a lot of effort in the tournament to have fun compelling you know matches and he really is like a great you know upper like mid card level guy that can work well with anybody
3: yeah
2: very versatile guy um always looks for ways i feel like he does a great job of trying to find unique stories to tell in his match, depending on who he's going in going in there with. Like kinda of feels like the Kanamaru
1: of the tournament. Yeah.
2: Kinda of like, you know, how he mixes up with like the, the Ocon story and then with the powder and then now the whole Jay White story and the money. So I feel like he kinda of has he kind of looks for things to kind of make his matches a little bit different and really kind of capitalize with the, the dynamics between his character and whoever he's wrestling.
1: Last and uh but not least we have Great Ocon on night eight he defeated sonata or sonata defeated him in 16 minutes and 35 seconds and then on night 10 he went into the match with ishii with no points defeated ishii that was today so he finally gets on the board with two points so he still has three matches left in the field including a match with jay white and he's sitting at two points and um we already discussed those matches but uh I do think it's very interesting where he kind of lays because, again, he has Jay White in front of him. So, aside from just uh, Taichi and Tama, Okan is hypothetically one of those guys that could get himself into contention were he to beat Jay White.
2: Yeah, we know, we've been hearing, you know, there are big plans for Great Okan. The office really likes him. He's been getting over so, I mean, they could pull that kind of big upset victory to help him and then also kind of make the 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 block more interesting with Jay having a loss here. So he could kind of be that guy kind of like Jonah in the A block where he kind of, you know, really grab a hold of his destiny and gets a get win over the, the block leader.
1: Definitely. And, I mean, that's kind of the nice thing. It's sort of keeping things alive a little bit. But as we're coming down the final stretch, you know, I'm wondering how they're going to book it out to where things are still kind of interesting and compelling, you know, as things get tied up in these smaller blocks, you know?
2: Right. And I guess maybe the benefit of having multiple blocks is you don't necessarily need all four blocks to be compelling. You, right. can, ha- you can have that one, like the B block could be the one where Jay just runs away with it. Then you still have three
1: blocks to play with. The other thing too, though, is, you know, until you and I've done this podcast, I have not sat down and done the math and really looked analytically at this stuff at all. And maybe that's a detriment to the, the structure because every night it's ABC and D block matches on the same night. And you kind of lose track of all of it. And a lot of it, the importance of it. I mean, I do think Kevin Kelly and the rest of the commentary team are doing a great job telling those stories, but, uh, you know, it's not like I'm paying super close attention and maybe that's a detriment because normally when I'm watching a G1, I'm really paying attention to these narratives. And since it's so spread out and so, you know, kind of all over the place, it's really hard to hone in on what's even really happening within each block.
2: Right. If you're not really taking notes or really paying attention, it's like, all right, when did Jonah have his last match? Like, who did he face last time? Like, when is his next match? Like, wait, how
1: how did, how did he get those points? it's hard also to get excited for upcoming matches. If you don't, if you're not really like keeping it on a calendar and being like, okay, on this night, Jay is wrestling again. And on this night, Okada is wrestling. Like I, I'm just turning on the shows and being like, okay, what's up? Cause I don't really know. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's just kind of like a
2: surprise. Like, Oh, there
1: we go. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so let's uh, move on to
2: the, the C block now. So that, Three guys with four points on top of the C block. So first, let's talk about Zach Sabre Jr. On night eight, he was defeated by the ace, Hiroshi Tanahashi, 17 minutes and 32 seconds.
1: One of the best matches of the tournament so far, um, best match of that night, in my opinion, um Tanahashi and Zack Sabre they have a long long history great matches almost every time out so not nothing to be surprised about there but um the finish of this match was essentially a situation where Zack put Tanahashi into a sub Tanahashi reversed it Zack went for another sub Tanahashi stacked him for a pinfall and both of Zach's shoulders were down. The referee counts the one, two, three, and unbeknownst to the ref and Zach Saber, his hand was extended underneath, clearly underneath the ring rope, like under the white line. It's like very, like apparent. And so Tanahashi gets the win, but it's kind of a jaded win in at the you know to cap off a really great match, essentially. Yeah. Uh,
2: yeah, it was a great match, and it's kind of that kind of kind of scurry finish there. And at first, I was kind of wondering if it was on purpose or not, because, I mean, like, Sabre kicked out. He really didn't mention his shoulder. He was just kind of arguing with the ref if it was three or not, and then him and Tanahashi kind of embraced at the end, and he was kind of laughing it off, like, all right, you, you kind of got me. You, you pulled one on me, but I, don't, I, didn't, I didn't see the backstage promos either, so I don't know if he's really talked up the whole arm under
1: the ropes thing. Yes, he is now because apparently what happened is he himself wasn't aware of it when it happened. And then mm. he was made he was made aware and he was like, Well, that's Bullock. <laughs> yeah. And then and then when he came out on the undercard, he was like, like when he came out during the tag matches the next night, he was like, My hand was under the rock.'" <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, so it's like he was also unaware, but I- I'll tell you this, of course, I think it's all work. You know, I don't think he wasn't unaware that yeah. his hand was over the rope. I think his character was unaware, and then was made aware, and then and then now is like you know, blah blah blah. It, two things with this. Um, one, I think my in my opinion, I think Zack is going to essentially win the rest of his matches, go into the final match with Naito with only the one loss against Tanahashi, and then lose to a streaking Naito and they will both finish with two losses and Naito will win the tiebreaker after that Zach will be able to say I should have won the block because my one loss wasn't even really a loss because my hand was under the ropes the whole time that's what I'm thinking there
2: yeah that's exactly what I'm thinking too. yeah Zach and Naito final uh, we'll talk about Naito but yeah definitely seems like they are setting up a comeback story for him um, Sabre right now only, like you mentioned, only the one loss to Tanahashi. So right now, he's looking really good. And, you know, with they've been giving Sabre some opportunities. I mean, we're kind of going under the assumption that Naito's going to win this block. But I, I could see a scenario where we think, you know, Naito's going to get the big, you know, triumph up win, but Sabre's going to, you know, beat him and Sabre goes into the, the semifinals.
1: You know they they've also done a lot of Lij versus Suzuki Goon multi man tag matches on the undercards and there's always these very long lingering interactions between Zack and Shingo and it does seem like they might be setting up a Zack Shingo KOPW championship match for after the G1. I know we were asked that a few weeks ago and now I've started to pay attention and. I think there's some smoke to that fire, which is another reason why I'm like, I don't know if Zach's actually going to win the block because of that. Right. seems like, he's got a date with Shingo anyways. But uh, the other thing too, is this match was great, but this finish now, if this finish was just in a vacuum, it wouldn't be that bad, but it's like, there've been a lot of bad finishes in this G1. Mm-hmm. And not only that, there've been a lot of bad finishes in just new Japan this year. You look at the Osprey storyline, which Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I'm kind of wondering like, did, are they just dropping the whole, he was getting screwed for so long thing. Like, is that just done now? Or is there ever going to be a payoff to that? And well, I, mean,
2: that... I guess he's technically still, well, no, after today's I guess show. He's,
1: well, after today, you no, know, well, yeah i guess whatever yeah but uh <laughs> it's just like you know it's 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 the g1 and you're just giving people a lot of like why, why do this why not just have zach lose i don't understand exactly you know what i mean right
2: like why do we need to at this point protect zach
1: protect zach saber jr all right i he, don't
2: know yeah i get if they want to do the whole you know i i should have one thing and you know, maybe, you know, they are doing the UK show. Maybe that's his way of getting a tile shot in the UK is because he should have won the block. And maybe somehow he gets a shot based off of that, maybe. But besides that, I don't really see any good reason why they need to do this kind of screwy finisher.
1: Well, in any case, that puts Zach at four points. And, um, you know, he won his first two matches and he still has three matches to go. So, You know, the C block and the D block, they're a little bit more open than the A and the B block when it comes to these eliminations. So, yeah, uh, after that, we got Hiroki Goto sitting at four points on night seven. He defeated Aaron Hanare, 17 minutes and 12 seconds. And then on night 10, he was defeated by Kenta. So he went into that match undefeated. He was defeated by Kenta and he lost in the uh, semi main event, 18 minutes and eight seconds. The G
2: and G1 stands for Goto. Uh, This man, like you mentioned, came in undefeated into the Kenta match. He's on top of the block here with guys like Zack Sabre and Tanahashi. Uh, You know, he's right now has a very good chances of, you know, winning this block. I mean, obviously, it's it's not going to happen, but... He's positioned, <laughs> <laughs> he's positioned very high right now. He's been having some very fun matchups. Uh, this match with Hanare was a, a very hard-hitting matchup, kind of your, your never-slug-fest between these
1: guys. I, I loved the exchanges between Hanare and Goto. Yeah, like, in, in fact, we even considered Goto for Wrestler of the Month considering the Hanare and uh, Naito match which, you know, obviously the nighttime match is a big upset for him and the fact that he won the never-open-weight six-man tag team titles during the uh, road tour as well. So he's kind of like having a—he had a great July, essentially.
2: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But then yeah, August was a rough start for him, losing to Kenta on night ten Again, I I thought that was another uh, very good, hard-hitting match, but there was a ton of shenanigans in it, though. They had the whole callback to Kenta— Wanting Goto's staff, and we had some ref bumps, and Kenta eventually, you know, used the staff and was able to kind of get the they advantage. They were done
1: poorly too. Like the ref bumps were like clunky and didn't make sense, and the stuff with the staff. Like the match was great, but then when they started moving into those segments and sequences, they kept botching and like kind of just like uh it, it just didn't. It took me out of the match for a bit. To be yeah,
2: honest. It, it wasn't needed, and even the finish, Kenta, he messed up the GTS. Towards the well, end. They,
1: Yeah, they, they messed it up and then had to do it again. So there was a lot of timing and miscommunication issues towards the tail end of that match. Yes,
2: yeah, so that was kind of rough. But besides that, I mean, Goto's been looking pretty good in this tournament thus far, um, kayfabe-wise and match quality-wise. And, you know, right now he's in a good position, but he's going to have to, you know, keep winning if he wants to win this block.
1: I mean, I would say so far... Out of everybody in the block, he is probably second only to Saber in terms of match quality, just overall. That might change, of course, but as it stands right now. And in terms of, like, overachieving, like, you know, obviously Goto's a a legend and has this great pass, but, like, hasn't really been capitalizing on his talents in a long time. And so, like, throughout the whole G1, the only two guys I feel like that might be like overachieving in kayfabe higher than him are maybe like Finley and Hanare. But there's an argument for Goto. I mean, just considering like the resurgence, like, this is the most revitalized I've seen him in a G1 in a long time. Where a lot of guys are wrestling lackadaisical, Goto's kind of standing out.
2: Yeah. Also, too, I think it's pretty funny. They've been mentioning on commentary that his son, um, I forgot what the context was, but his son wants him to win the AEW World Championship and win the G1. <laughs> <laughs>
1: That's tight. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so next up, we have the ace of the universe, Hiroshi Tanahashi. As we discussed, he defeated Zack Sabre Jr. Um, he's sitting at four points, and the only real detrimental thing about Tanahashi's run so far is that Actually, no. I apologize. I was gonna. I was gonna speak out of turn. the The positive about his run so far is that he has defeated the two top leading favorites of the block in Zack Saber Jr. and Tetsuya Naito. And so, I mean, depending on how you look at it, that might be a good or bad thing. If you think that Tanahashi has a good chance of winning the block, well, that's great. If you're thinking to yourself, there's no way Tanahashi reasonably wins this block. Then we're looking at evil Goto and Kenta all being potential people to beat him in subsequent uh, fashion very quickly here. So um, there is that aspect to it, too.
2: Yeah, I mean, right now he's starting off strong, but I do think it's going to be we're going to kind of see, I think, the pendulum switch between him and Naito. Where you have Naito with the slow start, Tanahashi with a good start, and I think they're they're going to kind of switch there, and Tanahashi's going to go through a losing streak, and you know I, I could see Tanahashi ending up three and three and, and getting six points. Um,
1: well, in order for Zack Saber and Naito, either one of them to win, he would need to go three and three, and he's already lost to Hinari, which means if you're a betting man, he's going to lose two out of the next three matches to evil goto and kenta which you know what tanahashi is not on that final block final night he's on the last to final night so that would make sense if it is in fact that he's mathematically eliminated by that point
2: right and those last three guys are all guys that he could lose to
1: they're all guys that i think he i, I don't think he's lost to kenta has he or no he probably has yeah, I think he has,
2: but Kenta is definitely going to be coming for revenge after what happened at Wrestle Kingdom in January this year and the, the injuries that Kenta re- received from that uh, no, no DQ match they had. And we already kind of saw that on the road tour with, with Kenta attacking Tanahashi. So I think that's going to be a very heated match. Kenta is going to be seeking for blood, and I think Kenta is going to be looking to end Tanahashi's G1.
1: Yeah, another guy who's in front of him is evil, who's also sort of a dark horse and sort of has you know, he's only had two uh tournament matches, so his field's a little more open as well. Yeah, so there's that to consider.
2: So, I'm coming in now with two points of last all the remaining guys have two points. So, first, let's talk about the based Aaron Hanare on night seven. He lost to Goto, like we mentioned. Uh, overall, what have you been thinking about Hanare's performances?
1: I've really thought that Hanare has I don't I don't want to call it overachieved because that seems demeaning like oh this guy's you know doing better than he's capable of. No, like he's showing what he's actually capable of. And you know, we've been fans of Hanare on this podcast since the early inception days of his like graduation period. i I don't i don't know if we were sold when he was a lion but as soon as they gave him like the the
2: brown tatanka looking thing
1: yeah the the knockoff you know um new Zealander sort of indigenous gimmick uh initially we were like all in on the guy because he was fucking awesome and it's been a long time since we've seen him in a position to really showcase that and i mean he's just been he's been awesome man um For me, I would put him at number three in terms of performance in the block, just behind Goto and just behind Zach Sabre Jr. And in fact, he wrestled both of those guys. So the only match that was maybe not as what you would expect to be as far as like great performances, probably the Tanahashi match that he did win. But uh, he kind of, and that wasn't bad either, but he rebounded from that and just had awesome matches with Sabre and Goto back to back.
2: I think the thing with the Tanahashi match, I don't think the the whole point was for them to have a great match. I think the point was to, to get Hanari over as a big threat, have him you know, out power out muscle Tanahashi, get that big upset win and kind of get fans thinking, Oh, you know, Hanari just beat the ace, maybe he could have, actually have a shot on this thing and then like you mentioned the other matches he's had, like he's looked very good. His strikes I've I've been loving a lot of those elbows and the, the Muay Thai. Strikes that he's been incorporating that springboard, uh, spinning kick.
1: Like, he's been looking so good in these matches. Springboard, spinning kick, the jumping Muay Thai knee. Like, I don't know if you've noticed, like, that knee it's not like a a running, striking knee, the kind that, like, say, Kenny Omega does with the V trigger, but it's one where he like steps up. Yes. It's very similar, similar to what CM Punk does in the corner, but he does it standing.
2: It's like, uh, Sagat from Street Fighter.
1: Yeah, we'll stick at some Muay Thai fighters. Yeah, so, yeah. And, I mean, if you love Muay Thai, you'll like Aaron Hanare, which I'm a big Muay Thai fan. So, like, yeah, I'm I'm really digging what he's bringing to the table here. Plus, he's showing like a lot of that fighting spirit. Like he, right now, he's absolutely on the table as a strong style Carl Gotch wrestler of the year candidate. So, yeah, um, big like very very impressed with Hanare. And we
2: had a now question. as far
1: as like uh where he stands. I would expect him personally to lose one or two more matches, but not all the rest of his matches. Like he's lost two. So, I mean, he's still got Naito evil and Kento in front of him. Expect him to beat at least one of those guys, maybe two of them.
2: Yeah. I could see him ending three and three.
1: Yeah. I, he, he's probably going to play spoiler to a certain extent here.
2: Yeah. And we had a question from Rainzy Wrestling. What's Aaron Henares' gym routine?
1: You know, we don't know the answer to that. I will tell you this, though. He was a guest recently on one of the um, episodes of Super J Cast. I don't normally tell people to go listen over to the competition, even though those guys are great. But uh, I listened to it, and he did mention some of his gym routine. He also mentioned um his diet as well which i was like holy fuck like he's taking a lot of calories
2: (laughs) yeah you can definitely tell he he's beefed up a lot he's looking really thick as he's ever looked packed on a lot of mass and uh, i think it's working for him
1: he said that's what he said pretty much he said that uh it's actually making it easier for him to bump and move in the ring Mm. so Yeah. yeah if you haven't listened to that episode it's definitely worth the worth checking out i was pretty uh you know i thought it was pretty good so um yeah but i don't know aaron's gym routine (laughs) he did one thing he did mention is he talked about how a lot of the uh older stars in new japan one of the things that they do is like they don't stop training like not just from like a a personal standpoint but like they have their personal routines that they have their like ring ring work routines where they're still trying to get better in the ring even though they've been doing it for 20 years or plus then he also mentioned before matches they're still doing their squats they're still doing their shadow boxing they're still doing their footwork and he was like that's basically what i'm trying to do he's like i want to be like nagata who's still doing like you know however many rounds of shadow boxing before he gets in the ring and i'm like yeah it's pretty cool
2: (laughs) Dude, you mentioned Nagata, I'm, I'm just thinking now how much better would this tournament be if we had Nagata
1: somewhere in one of these blocks? I mean, okay, so we might get to, maybe, maybe now is not the point. Okay, I'm, I might as well <laughs> just say it. So like this past week, I, I, I reflected on the the format of this tournament and also the participants and how it's going and how it's been implemented and I don't know that I'm the biggest fan and I thought to myself, well, what if we got like what if we kept the old format and got rid of eight of the lowest ranked competitors you know what i mean and just Mm -hmm. went back to 20 i really found that hard to do like i was like i can't get rid of eight guys there's too many good guys deserving what if we got rid of just the bottom six and then kept the 22 most deserving guys and kept the a and the b block together and the c and the d block together what would that look like and I did a preliminary run tell me how you would feel about this block setup a block Okada Okan Cobb Ishii Archer Sonata Jonah Tamatanga Tom Lawler Tai Chi and Jay White sounds great yeah and then in the B block you wind up with Zach Sabre jr uh, to, uh, Goto, Hanore Shingo, Tanahashi Naito, Kenta Osprey, Juice Robinson ELP and Yoshihashi Again, sounds great And then you you cut out your Yanos, your Fales and Chase Yujiro Chase, and I think Dave Finley
2: Yeah, I would have much preferred that
1: Yeah, the way that things are going, I'm like Maybe they should have <laughs> done this instead <laughs>
2: Uh, next guy we've got to talk about is the King of Darkness, Evil. He uh, lost to Tetsuya Naito here on night nine. He has two points, and I got to say, I actually enjoyed this main event matchup between Naito and Evil.
1: I enjoyed it too, and I, I might even be inclined to say this was potentially the best match they've had with each other post uh, Evil's turn. Yeah,
2: I think this is the highest I've been on any other matches I, I went 3.75 on it Uh, You know, there was not a ton of shenanigans Yes, Dick Togo was out there and you had that and, and Evil was doing his normal cheating But you didn't have show, there was no wrench There was no lights off, there was no wire There was no dog cages um, There was no pimp canes, there wasn't usual like it was mainly just Evil and Togo Trying to you know Out cheat Naito and Naito being this Fiery bay face having to fight Both of them off and He um, had a little bit of plunder in there With the the chair spots and then The craziest spot of the whole match where Naito pulls a, a Table out and he pile drives Evil Off the apron through the table um, And that, that Table just exploded And we know that we joke about the strong style table and how sometimes they don't always break or they kind of just bend a little bit. It takes a lot of force. Well, that table freaking exploded when Nito uh, Naito uh, dropped evil through that, which is a pretty scary spot. Cause I almost lost evil on the apron before he even jumped into the to- into the table for the pile driver.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. I totally agree with everything that you said there. You know, um, and this is something we had discussed when we talked about like a few years ago when Jay first came into Bullet Club, there was this trajectory where it was like, okay, you're gonna get saddled with all this like character work and you know, all these uh cheat filled matches that kind of bring down the quality of your matches, but then over time they kind of gave them more leeway to have good matches. And when that happened, they gave that role to someone else. There always seems to be somebody that sort of just sucks because, <laughs> because of that gimmick. Mm-hmm. And in this case, for a while, it's been evil, but we're about like at the two year mark of his gimmick. And now I think they are starting to give him more leeway to revert a little bit more back to what he had been previously, just with all the the new fixings and and, you know, everything like that. So I'm not surprised it's going this way. Now, the one thing that a detractor might say in this regard is, well, sure, this was the best match the two of them might have had together, but it still wasn't like a classic. And it is still the main event night of a G1 Climax night. And to that, I would say, you're right. I I don't know what to say to that. I can't really defend it, but I will tell you the match was good. Can't sit here and say like, oh, this was like, you know, Ishii versus, you know, Kenny Omega in the middle of the G1. <laughs> yeah, Right. But it was good. So there is a part of me that like is a little bit sad because it's not like what you expect out of the G1. But at the same time, it's not evil just being the fucking worst thing on the entire show. You know what I mean?
2: Right. It was, it was actually, it was enjoyable. It was, it was a very good matchup. And at this point, like, I'll I'll take that when it comes to evil.
1: Right. So next up we have Naito. He's sitting at two points. As we mentioned previously, he already has two losses in the tournament uh, to both uh, Goto and Tanahashi. This was his first win. Had he not beaten evil in this spot, he probably would have been eliminated. And I think he's living and he's sort of like a Ric Flair at the end of his uh, run in WWE, like every match is a career-threatening match. Well, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> every match is a G one-threatening match for him. He has to literally win everything from here on out to realistically like win the block. Yeah, so I think that, that,
2: and that added to the drama of the evil match because we we've seen right. evil beat Naito they're were, they were cheating a lot. Like that could have been a very real possibility of evil pulls the upset and then Naito's just done that's been the whole story like this is potentially his last chance to win the g1 and go on the main event the dome one more time um so that could have easily ended with evil but he he got the win here like you mentioned now every match going forward is a you know must win scenario
1: well before he faces saber on the block finals night he still has kenta and hanari in front of him so my guess he beats both of those guys and you know goes into that final block night you know with just the one or with the two blemishes.
2: Yeah, those are very winnable
1: matches for him. Um, after that, we have uh Kenta. He's also sitting at two points. Like we mentioned, he defeated Goto. And you know, Kenta's kind of a, you know, in a precarious position. He still has uh Naito, Tanahashi, and Hanari in front of him, but he also has those two losses and um I think that the Naito match is going to be really important for him. I think the Tanahashi match will be very important as well. And I'm guessing from here on out, I would I would suspect he loses to Naito. He beats Tanahashi. And that Hinari one's a toss-up.
2: Yeah, I think that's one where you, you could give it to either guy. I, again, those, those are both guys I could see ending up at six points. I don't know if the, the math works out that both of them can end with six Um, But, yeah, I think Kenta, we've seen the rivalry of him and Naito, that that big sold-out match they had uh, before the pandemic, so they're going to kind of throw it back to that, and I think Naito will get the win there, and then uh, I think, like I mentioned earlier, Kenta will get his revenge on Tanahashi from the Tokyo Dome and kind of knock Tanahashi out of the tournament and play spoiler for Tanahashi. What's so special
1: about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low-net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands. And are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Nice. So that is going to do it for the um, C Block. So let's move on finally to the D Block and to everyone's surprise. <laughs> leading the D Block. With six points is one young David Finley. On night eight, he defeated former IWGP World Heavyweight Champion Shingo Takagi in 14 minutes and 50 seconds. And then on night 10, he defeated former IWGP World Heavyweight Champion Will Ospreay in 15 minutes and 28 seconds. So Dave Finley coming in hot. Man, who booked this ish? (laughs) This man is um, four matches in to his tournament. He only has two to go, and he's three and one. Or yeah, three and one.
2: So yeah. So on one end, you know, the, the positive end, they they're finally pushing David Finley. Um, it's a guy who's been grinding for a long time. They're, they're giving him opportunity here. Two big wins over two former IWGP World Heavyweight Champions. He's you know streaking, looking, you know, kayfabe boss looking pretty good, building a lot of momentum. He's leading this D-block, his first G1. So all that is the positive. The negative here, for me, I don't know if you feel like this way, Josh, or other people feel this way. Um, I just don't feel like the performances have been there. This week, he was in there with Shingo and Will Ospreay, um, two of the best wrestlers in this block, in this company, and in this world. And I felt like they pretty much kind of carried him in those matches, Um, especially in the Ospreay match. I felt in in the Shingo match, to me, it kind of felt like Shingo was like sleepwalking in that match and kind of just wrestled just – well, and Shingo's great even when Shingo does that, Shingo's great, and I feel like he didn't put out the full effort because it, it was Finley, and, and then this Osprey match again—it was a great main event. I want four stars on it, but it's Will Osprey, and in some of these other Finley matches we've seen, it's like just he hasn't really put out that—I don't know if he's not—I I hate to say it, not putting out effort, but his performances have just not been lining up with other guys in this tournament. Especially when you compare to somebody to like a like a Aaron Hanare where you really see the the, the strive and the, the the difference in his performances previous to his gimmick change.
1: Well, I think you might be, be being a little bit too harsh on this, just slightly. But I do see what you're saying, and I do agree to an extent. I mean, I do feel like you have to give the devil his due, because he did have great main events against Juice Robinson and Will Ospreay. Yeah. And that's undeniable. But I agree with you in the sense that I didn't feel like he was breaking out in those matches. If anything, I felt like they were both... And here's where I think I agree with you. I felt like Juice and Will Ospreay were... For him, these were some of the best matches he's ever had in his entire New Japan career. For them, these were lower-end matches for juice and and for will in a g1 these were not matches that would ever really go on say like their top 10 or top 15 g1 matches or even top 20 probably you know what i mean right so i think that's where the the disconnect is it's like for him it's like oh man i'm having classics but it's like no you're in there with great workers and they're carrying most of the workload and I think the difference between him and some of the other guys we've been a little bit more impressed with, like an ELP or a Hanare, they just really seem like they're putting everything into it. And EL, or and David Finley doesn't feel like a guy that is ascending, even though the booking is saying he is. You know what right.
2: I mean? Right. And and with a guy like Hanare and ELP, they're, they've gotten over with the crowd. And I don't feel that connection with Finley. And I know people might say, well, it's a clap crowd environment. How can you tell? I'm telling you, if you've been watching (laughs) New Japan for the last couple of years in the pandemic, you can tell the differences in claps. You can tell when people are oohing and aahing. You can tell when they're really into somebody. And I really haven't felt that with Finley. He did get big oohs and aahs when he had the big upsets over Juice and Osprey. The crowd was like, oh, and Shingo. The crowd was like, oh, wow. Like, yeah. He got that, but throughout his whole match, he just didn't really have, there wasn't that that kind of clap cadence there for him. Like, watch Filthy Tom's matches and watch Finley's matches, and you will see that the crowd is so much more invested in a guy like Filthy Tom than they are Dan Finley, a guy who was a young lion who grew up in this system and who they've been watching for years.
1: Well, I do think that him beating these people is giving him more credibility and might be getting him over to some extent with the crowd. But, yeah, I do agree in that in the sense that like they're not rabid for him the way they were for, like, Alex Zane just a month ago. Right. Right, yeah. So um, I agree with you there. I think the biggest indictment is that he went out there with Shingo and had kind of a, a mid-match, like not yeah. even – I mean, just you could call it good, but it was just a whatever match. And it was like, Adam beat Shingo? That's weird. So, (laughs) um, you know, the big story, though, is that going into the match with Juice, Juice was claiming to still be the the IWGP US champion. He beat Juice. After he beat Juice, he took the belt and he said, you're not the champion, but whatever claim you had, I ended it. And I'm taking this belt with me against will which that was like that's weird so then he faces will tonight and you're like okay so where's this going Mm -hmm. and then he beats will osprey and he says he didn't take the belt because he wanted because he thought he was champion he took it to get in the the mind and the psyche and play mind games with will and evidently it worked because he was able to hit will with the trash panda and get him out of there clean one two three and then He gave Will the belt back post match and said, the next time you defend that belt, it's against me. So it's like, okay, it sets him up as a challenger. That's a big match down the line. I get it. But it's like, well, then why did we do the whole thing with Juice at Forbidden Door with the promos, him carrying the belt, and him being the guy that's facing Will on the last night? Like that, this whole detour just feels fucking weird.
2: Yeah, it's all kind of messed up, which we we, we already know the whole plan and the booking for the U.S. title has been messed up due to injury and illness, but I feel like they've had enough time to course correct, and I, I don't understand, like you said, where, where this whole Dave Finley detour comes in. Are they going to set up a triple threat match between these three guys for the title, or is Will going to have to defend against both these guys in the fall maybe? Uh, I guess depending if Juice beats him on, on that last night. So I guess there's a couple of different directions that can go with it, but I just don't. It feels like they were definitely doing a more personal Juice Osprey story. But I guess with both of those guys being heels, I guess they felt maybe they need to insert a, a baby face into the picture uh, to maybe have somebody that quote unquote the fans can get behind. Maybe I don't
1: know. Now one last thing I'll say about Finley before we move on. Um, he has now defeated Will Osprey, Shingo Takagi, and Juice Robinson three of the most favored individuals in the entirety of the D block. And he only has two, two more matches, just Yoshihashi and Phantasmo. So if he, um, just loses one more match, right. And any of those guys end up with a record of four and two, he's going to probably beat them head to head in the the math so it's probably likely i mean of course phantasmo he's been pretty inactive and he still has four matches to go so you can't discount him but um you know i don't assume yoshihashi or yujiro are gonna win the block by any stretch <laughs> of the imagination so you kind of have to base fit the rest of finley's booking off of how you think they're gonna book osprey shingo and, and Juice potentially. Which tells me that he's either something weird's gonna happen and he's only gonna uh lose one more match, or he has to lose the, the next two matches, which to me, him beating going on this stretch and beating Will Ospreay and laying down the gauntlet challenge, that's probably the end of his story arc. I think he's losing to Yoshihashi and Phantasmo for the rest of the block. And that will open things up for the rest of those four guys to potentially win the, the rest of that D block.
2: Right. At this point, like he doesn't need to win this block. Like he, he has his U S title match kind of set up here. He, he beat Osprey, So he can kind of hang his head on that. And that, that could be the arc that carries him in, into the fall. If he does win
1: one more match, it makes the, the tournament almost unwinnable for most of those guys, unless like, Osprey would pretty much have to go undefeated the rest of the time. Shingo would pretty much be done already at this point. Juice would be done already at this point. And so if he were, like, let's say hypothetically he wins his last two matches, that creates a scenario where only Osprey and ELP can win, which I think is possible. Yeah. I mean that is that is possible, but um I find it highly unlikely. I think the more the more likely scenario at this point, just based on his story arc, I think he loses he drops the next two.
2: Yeah, I, I agree with that. All right, let's take a look at the next guy in the D block, Will Osprey. Like we mentioned, he is at four points right now. So on night seven, he defeated. Yujiro Takahashi at 11 minutes and 17 seconds to get up to four points. And like we just mentioned, he lost to David Finley on this morning's show,
1: Night 10. I really don't have too many uh, thoughts about the Yujiro match. I'm actually struggling to remember it because I think <laughs> it was... Uh, that was the right after we got done recording. Like That was the next uh, night. So yeah. a lot has happened between them. But from what I do recall... This was probably the best Ujiro match we've seen in the tournament so far, but you know, we'll beat him in 11 minutes. So,
2: <laughs> yeah, I think the thing I remember the most is I think it was, it's just uh, Ujiro, uh reconciling with Peter.
1: Oh, that's right. Yeah, so they had the whole thing where Peter had left with uh, ELP just uh, the night prior or the couple nights prior. So, yeah, him and Peter reconciled and. Even though she came back to his aid, Will Osprey still picked up the two wins or the two points. Beat that ass, and yeah, uh,
2: he he once again hit the uh, that hidden blade the wrong way. Which it looks, I think it looks, mm. I looks, I think it looks nastier when he does it from the front.
1: Right. One thing I didn't like about the Dave Finley match with Will Osprey too is that the the finish. Well, I guess depending on your your outlook, the finish just came from out of nowhere. Like they're in the middle of the set, uh, sequence, and Dave Finley just. Got him up for trash pan and just dropped him. And I mean, I guess that's kind of a flash win and it is legit, but from a fan enjoyment standpoint, I was just like, wait, what? He beat him? That that that, that was sorry as fuck.
2: Yeah, like it, it's the main event. Like, I'm expecting some kind of crazy, like Will Osprey clothing sequence with reversal, reversal, reversal. You know. Yeah,
1: they went just over 15 minutes in the main event of a G1 night. Like, okay. I know, we're, I know we're talking about Dave Finley again, but let me just give you one last example of the difference between what we're... What a, here's, an, here's an example when it comes to Dave Finley. You know how we're saying like he's not really living up to what we think he should be? Look at the match he had with Jay White in the New Japan Cup last year. Mm. Think about how fucking incredible that match was. Yeah. And then think about how good the match with will osprey was the next night or the, or in the next round that match was awesome too those were two matches back to back that at the time when when they happened this was before um you know he stopped coming back to japan where you were like well, or wait am i talking about two new japan cups ago i might you- be talking about I might be talking about two New Japan Cups ago.
2: It was, yeah, it was New Japan Cup 2020 during the pandemic, like the heart of the pandemic.
1: Oh, shit, yeah. So I'm <laughs> kind of like, that's how far back we're going. But uh, in either case, th- that was a situation where it was like, dude, David Finley really has something. He's getting over with the fans. They're, they finally gave him the ball. He's taking it, and he's running with it. Holy fuck. Okay, that's what I expect out of that guy in this G1, especially since he's also wrestling Will Ospreay. You know what I mean? And we've already seen him wrestle Will Ospreay in the same kind of environment and do better.
2: Yeah. It's, yeah, very, yeah, questioning. It's, yeah, like, what, what is, what's happening here? And I don't know if the whole layoff from being in Japan has kind of messed his rhythm up, but, yeah, this... What we're seeing right now in G1 compared to what we saw in the New Japan Cup two years ago is definitely there's a big difference there.
1: Yeah, the other thing, too, um, when it just comes to Will, Will's doing great in this tournament, but he's not really having the kind of performances you would expect from Will Ospreay in a G1 you know, we've already talked about how, like, all throughout the year, he's having this breakout year and setting himself up. And normally, the G1 is the time where guys like him had that resume so much so that nobody else, you know, can really catch up to them. And I'm not really seeing that from him yet. Obviously, he still has Shingo in front of him and a few other guys. So that remains to be seen. But at the same time, it's like, damn. It's Will Ospreay, It's the G one. He's halfway done, and I mean, yeah, the ELP match was really great, but nothing, nothing he's done so far is something where you're like, go out of your way. You have to see this.
2: Yeah, you know, you no, know, it's almost kind of that way for a lot of the top guys in this tournament. You look, you look at your. It's almost
1: it's almost this way for the entirety of the entire tournament. Period.
2: Right, and. <laughs> I don't know if it's you can just blame it on the format. I don't know if you blame it on the way the blocks were put together. If you want to blame it on the clap crowds. I know a lot of the wrestlers are very demotivated by fans still not being allowed to cheer. And I know Osprey has been one of the vocal ones, you know, tweeting at the Japanese government asking why fans still aren't allowed to cheer. So I don't know if it's a situation now where he's kind of picking his spot somewhere he's gonna kind of go all out
1: okay so i i looked it up the those matches with Dave finley that's not 2020 that was 2021 okay that new japan cup but yeah i mean i don't know man um and i guess we can just give a quick recap on that when we get done with uh this block but it is weird i agree yeah um so the next guy we have is no this is rock card juice hard. robinson he's sitting at two points night not I, I almost went to imitate him but like i can't do it like it, he, <laughs> his voice is so crazy um after night 9 he defeated he was defeated by yoshihashi in 12 minutes and 16 seconds which was surprising
2: yeah kind of an upset here cuz obviously you know juice coming off the loss from finley and it seems like juice Initially coming into the tournament was going to be in line for a big push And somebody who's going to be winning a lot probably towards the beginning But yeah, that Finley loss and now here losing to Yoshihashi Which was kind of a, a huge upset in a, a way um, You know, Yoshihashi hasn't had a singles goal Juice his former U.S. champion um, So yeah, you know, quick 12-minute match But I thought it was, it was very good It was a very hard-hitting there's a lot of really great back and forth towards the end there, but then Yoshihashi was just able to uh hit the
1: karma and uh put Juice away. Yeah, I like the match a lot. I like I like Juice's work in the tournament, even though he's only had two matches so far. It's just um yeah, man. I mean it's just so weird. <laughs>
2: Wait, wasn't this his, his uh, third match?
1: Yeah, I'm looking at the wrong thing. That's my I just caught it. Yeah, so he beat Shingo, and then he lost to Finley and Yoshihashi. So he's had three matches. My apologies. But um, even still, yeah, weird booking. I don't know what to say about that. But he's got Osprey on the last night coming up. He has ELP coming up, inter-bullet club match, and then uh, Yujiro inter-bullet club match. So, you know, usually those inter-bullet club matches aren't really Blow away standouts, even though him and ELP could probably do something pretty great together. Um, he's gonna need to win both of those to be in contention, and then that match with Osprey could be a potential determinant for either one of them to win the block. But yeah. I guess I guess he's he was gonna need to take some losses, anyways. Right. And you know. If you are trying this, and I'm not trying to cap for it, but at the same time, if you think about it logically, if he was, if, if you're trying to establish him as a top guy in Bullet Club, it might not be a good look to have him losing to under guys in the same faction like right. and Yujiro. So maybe that's why you just bite the bullet. You have him take the loss to Yoshihashi and Finley for storyline purposes. You have him beat the other Bullet Club guys and then have him go in viable against Osprey. That's just my guess.
2: Well, I think that makes the most sense. It seems based where we're at today, Finley, Osprey, and Juice are going to be the three main players going into those last few nights.
1: My, My only problem with all of that, well, number one, if he loses another match in this block, he's done, period. Yeah. But my biggest issue is why did you have him come in talking all this mess about the red belt if he was going to quote-unquote lose it to finley and then still have a date with osprey down the line in the finals, so that whole thing i think it's been fumbled pretty big to be honest with you uh the only thing
2: is if he beats osprey on the last night and steals the belt again and then kind of go back to where he started it's like all right i prove that i could beat osprey i definitely should be the u.s champ i should have never
1: so yeah. then what? We're gonna end up with a triple threat?
2: Yeah, that's what I was saying earlier. I, I feel like they're gonna they're do a bad. three away because they want
1: I hate, I hate triple threats.
2: <laughs> well, I feel like because with juice and osprey both being heels, maybe Gail's like, Oh, I, I need to throw a baby face in here. I
3: don't
1: maybe. Know. Maybe, I don't know. So uh it's very possible, I guess. Um I'd rather hit I'd rather Osprey just defend against each guy separately. Yeah. Which is, which makes me feel like, well, then why are we setting it all up now during G1? And also can Osprey just do something else? Like I don't I don't understand.
2: Yeah. Can we get Osprey and like the, the title picture? <laughs> yeah. Uh, moving on to the next guy, Tokyo Pimp, Yujiro Takahashi also with two points. So like we mentioned he lost to Will Osprey in his best performance in this tournament. And we, we've seen him against Osprey in previous tournaments, and that's usually been one of his best matches also. Uh, and I feel like it's not going to get any better for Yujiro uh, match quality-wise. Uh, Kayfabe-wise, I, I really don't see him winning a, a ton more matches either.
1: Yujiro Takahashi does not belong in the G1 anymore.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'm getting real tired of him eat, holding a G1 spot and, and having these mid matches.
1: Yep. I would rather have literally a young lion oh, yeah. that I know is going to eat all the pinfalls in this tournament than Yujiro Takahashi at this point.
2: Yeah, you, you get uh, Vegeta, Oiwa in there.
1: Any of them. It doesn't matter to me. Any of them. Yeah. Kevin Knight, DKC. I don't give a fuck. You could put whoever in this tournament. Like, Yujiro should not be in this tournament ever again,
2: period. Maybe we should uh, put Carl Fredericks in.
1: Well, he doesn't work for the company anymore. <laughs> but you know what? That would have been, probably been way better than this.
2: Yeah. So let's uh, move on to the next guy Dragon Shingo Takagi, the provisional KLPW champion you might forget that because he does not bring that trophy out to him <laughs> well,
1: they said on commentary that apparently they're going to do a new trophy or a new you know something for kopw
2: well i know i know shingo had been campaigning for them to create an actual championship belt for it um
1: if, if i was him i would do something different like a ring or i don't know like a medal like a gold medal or or a a crown, K-O-P-W, mm. you have a fucking crown. I
2: don't know. I have a hard time seeing Shingo being like, I want a crown.
1: And a fucking scepter <laughs> and a robe. <roller> <laughs> uh,
2: King that, Shingo? That,
1: yeah, bro. I grew up in the 80s. There was King Haku, King Hacksaw Jim Duggan, King <laughs> Macho Man Randy Savage, King Harley Race. You know what I'm saying? Like
2: King Billy Gunn?
1: Yeah. All them, <laughs> oh man, but yes. Um, I'll say this, man. Shingo is uh three matches in, and he had uh definitely a great, great, like what I'd say, truly great match with Yoshihashi. A match that I would consider underrated with Juice Robinson, but so far you know, this is not what you expect from Shingo and he's got you left and the only shining lights, the fact that he still has ELP and Osprey on the docket, which is like, okay, hell yeah. Let's plug in for those. Yeah. But it's Shingo and you know, he's halfway through the tournament. It's just whatever, not he's a former champion. And like, I don't get it.
2: <laughs> yeah. Very similar to like you were mentioning with, with Osprey and some of the other guys in the tournament. It's like these are the guys who expect to be, you know, the big match factory, the ones that are, you know, when we previewed this show, we were like, yeah, this D-block, it's going to be the Osprey shingo show. They're going to go out here and have all these great matches with everybody in the block. And yes, they've been having, you know, some of the best matches, but it's not that high-level match of the year contender that you would expect from a guy like an Osprey or Shingo. Especially like you mentioned, with Chingo being former world champion just last year, uh, his booking and just uh, just some of the lack of his matches has has not been there, and I just, I just don't know what it is. I don't know if the thing of where he's just not motivated right now, or it's the environment, or it's the opponents. I don't know what's going they're not, on.
1: They're not putting him in main events. Yeah, he's not. Yeah, he's not getting booked in main events. So it's not like I mean, you know what I mean. I don't know. Yeah. Maybe all the wrestlers told themselves this is a fake G1.
2: Yeah, maybe. Yeah, maybe they weren't happy with the, with the format change and like, you know what? Whatever. Go out here and just, you know, give a little three and a half star performance.
1: We'll just give a little taste.
2: Yeah. <laughs> oh, man. And so, yeah, he lost to uh Finley on night eight, which was a uh, a big upset. And for me, I, I, I was not happy with
1: that. <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, like I said, he still has ELP and Osprey down the down the line. Now, that Osprey match is going to be one of the most important matches of the whole block because whichever guy wins in my opinion is probably the one that has the likelihood of winning the whole entire block even before they get down to the finals because that's a huge 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 tiebreaker for both guys. So, yeah. Keep your eye out on that one. Plus, I'm of the opinion, and I don't... There's nothing you can do to, to change it at this point. Just given how the match quality has been in this tournament, that's going to be the match of the tournament, probably including the finals and the block finals. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right.
1: There's probably nothing in this entire tournament that's capable of performing on the Osprey Shingo level, even if we just get an abbreviated, abridged version of their... You know previous matches. If they go out there and they give us a four and a half, like version of Osprey and Shingo, it's gonna mop this fucking. Term.
2: Yeah, and it's gonna be a point where like we're we're so we're so thirsty for you know great matches that match will probably will probably overrate it if they give us like the abridged version. we will be like, oh my gosh, they did it again, five and a half.
1: I'm gonna come on the, I'm, I don't even go over five. It would be like six stars. <laughs> But that oh. doesn't make sense You rated all their other matches 5 and below <laughs> I said what I said
2: <laughs> Oh man uh, Next up ELPL Phantasmo He has 2 points He did not have any matches uh Through night 7 through 10 Been very inactive But he's in that uh, same position as Taichi Where because he hasn't had many matches He has a better chance of Uh you know, controlling his destiny and getting in good position to win this block.
1: Yeah, the thing with him, though, is um, I feel like he's a little bit more capable of actually having a a running chance of actually being the guy to win the block and come from behind as opposed to some of the other inactive competitors in the other blocks, you know?
2: Yeah definitely seems like they're also the company's very behind phantasmo and there seems to be a, a, a big push behind him right now so yeah i could definitely see him being one of those guys where you know that they're, they're trying to establish finley right now they could also try to establish phantasmo by having him go on a streak and win a lot of matches here
1: yeah because i'm i'm looking so in the a block the guy with only two matches is jonah and the b block it's tai chi in the c block it is evil and then in d block it's phantasmo so every block has that one guy who still has an open field and it may be a negative or positive depending on how you look at it but they are going to have the remainder of their matches in a pretty condensed you know um time frame as opposed to the rest of their you know um competitors in the block yeah
2: so then, the last guy here, Yoshihashi, one third of the never open weight six man tag team champs, two points. Like we mentioned on night nine, he picked up that big upset win over Rock Hard Juice Robinson, and you know Yoshihashi, man, this guy is killing it. Goes out here, gives maximum effort, has very hard hitting matches. I feel like the crowd has been beginning behind him more. Um, there's just been a, a newfound confidence in him since winning the never six man tiles the first time. And he's just been, you know, putting out maximum effort. He's a guy, you know, he might not have, you know, your, your match of the year candidates, but he's going to go out there and give it his all. He's going to have bangers. Like you mentioned that, that Shingo match so far, still one of the, the better matches of the whole tournament.
1: You know, I, and I'm, I was mistaken a second ago. I said, phantasma is the only guy in the block with only two matches. It looks like Yoshihashi is also in that camp. Um, but with just two matches, I would say, in my opinion, there's a compelling argument that he's the block leader in terms of match quality.
3: Mm. The
1: only other person that might be able to compete with him is Will Ospreay. And so we're talking about Yoshihashi having a better tournament at this point than Juice Robinson, Shingo mm. Takagi, and ELP. Wow. And, I mean, that's not Cap. That's true.
2: Yeah, but it's just crazy to think, you know.
1: Is it that crazy? Think about two years in the G1 when he had that incredible B-block performance and, like, the only guy that did better than him was, like, Tanahashi.
2: I know, but he's he's in a block with Shingo Takagi and Will Osprey. Right, 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 right. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> and I'm not saying it's going to be... Like, now, keep in mind, he still has Osprey in front of him. He has Phantasmo, Ujiro, and Finley. So, you know, he's going to... I, I don't expect that we're going to see Yoshihashi, you know, go on a run or anything like that, but he's got some fun matches in front of him, and he's really trying his best, and you know, I, maybe we should flip-flop him and Finley, you know? Give him Finley's bookings. <laughs> give him, give him, I, I'm not even joking.
2: I, I, know him, you're, I know you're not, it's just a thought. Have, <laughs> have him beat these dudes.
1: Have him get the U.S. title. Have him tell Will Ospreay, next time you defend that belt, it better be against me, you know? What sounds funner, Yoshihashi and Will Ospreay or Finley and Will Osprey?
2: At, at this point, definitely Yoshihashi.
1: Yeah. So, and I'm sorry, Dave, if you're listening, we, we've been fans of yours in the past. But, like, I'm telling you, Yoshihashi is having a better tournament than you. It's time to turn up, bro. It's time to do what you were put on this planet to do. Four generations, my guy, and you're getting beat by the dude with the staff. Okay. Oh my gosh! (laughs) If not now, then when? Okay. Yeah, I'm saying
2: it's now or never. But yeah,
1: (laughs) Oda (laughs) Bushi.
2: Oh, that 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 wraps up the D block and uh, the review of nights seven through ten. We had a few questions here. Uh, first from front of the show, Dan cough and he says, Who has raised their stock so far in this G one? Has anyone dropped in your opinion?
1: Uh quick answers. Um I feel like Goto. Um and Aaron Hanare. And uh yeah, probably Yoshihashi. I think those guys have raised their stock.
2: Yeah, I would I would throw in Tamatonga maybe on that too. Yeah, Tama,
1: for sure. Uh, uh, as far as lower um, nobody's lowered their stock for me
2: yeah I, I don't think anybody I mean I expect Yijiro and Fale to kind of be where they're at so I wouldn't say that their their stock has dropped and nobody else I can really say I would say they they've dropped
1: everybody's performing exactly how I expect them to perform for better or for worse nobody there there is nobody that is vastly exceeding my expectations there's nobody that's like oh my god wow you know what i mean Mm -hmm. there are people that i think are doing a lot with what they have but like you know there's no one breaking out like there's no one like remember kenny's first g1 there's no one like that right if you know what i'm saying yeah Rambo
2: and Slam Pig says, "If you had to guess, is there anyone in this year's G1 field currently in their last tournament? Have any of the newcomers cemented their
1: entry for next year?" I wouldn't be surprised if this was, and uh, I wouldn't be surprised if this was Jiro's last tournament. It I mean, could be Ishi's. There's rumors about that, just based on age and everything. But I really hope that's not the case, considering the fact that he's our fucking MVP for the whole <laughs> tournament right now. Um, um, in terms of guys that have like solidified themselves, that that's a newcomer. I would say no. I, I don't know. I, Maybe Aaron Henari. I, th- I think Jonah
2: and Philly Tom.
1: I'm not complete. I'm not uh, discounting the fact that that's possible, but right now, where we sit halfway through, I'm not. I'm not convinced that next year we're going to be seeing either of them in the tournament again. Mm. Now I think they're on the trajectory to possibly be there, but where's the breakout match from either guy?
2: Yeah. They haven't had the breakout match yet, but I don't know. I just feel like the crowds gotten really invested in both of those guys.
1: Yeah. I mean, to some extent, but then again, it doesn't feel the way that it felt with Alex Zane or with uh Ace Austin in super juniors. That's true. Yeah. Good point. So, so I'm not saying it's not possible, but I just don't feel like that yet. Yeah. But I do think Aaron Nenari crossed that threshold. So like, he's on the roster. He's been waiting years. He's finally in it. And if he doesn't get in it next year over like a UGiro, then that would be a shame. Yeah.
2: Uh, Raising Falcon says, if you had to do a four block tournament next year, what would you change to make the format better?
1: Um, I would have the tournament nights be just completely either one block or two block nights. So either just like all A, all B, all C or D, or, you know, a combination of any combination of the two that you want, but something to kind of focus the stuff in more. Um, I would try and potentially format it in a way where there was less downtime for the guys. Um, and one of two things has to happen: you either need to raise the standard of who's in this tournament, so that the the blocks are strengthened, or you need to downsize the amount of people that are in the blocks and cut the people that don't that shouldn't be in it. One or the other. And I think cutting people is probably a logistics nightmare. So maybe we should consider bringing in better talent. <laughs> yeah. Uh, especially
2: when they're they've been broken up, after you broke up into four blocks, you, you want I think you at this point like you see a block of all six killers. Like maybe maybe you can have a one-off guy night, quote unquote, a Yano in one block, but I feel like you have a block, four blocks of six of the best wrestlers in the world.
1: Now, before we move on, to our preview, real quick. I do want to say a couple thoughts. And Jeremy, I think you should say a couple thoughts because by the time you're back on the show, we're going to be going into the finals. We'll literally be previewing the finals. So you'll you're going to be gone for a while. But like it's a lot of crying and bemoaning about the G1. And I don't think it's all undeserved. But I will say this. This tournament has not been bad. Right. Okay? And there's people out there that are acting like this tournament is bad. And trust me, I'm not defending it because I, I'm like, oh, it's all good, guys. Let's, you know, no. But there are people who are going overboard and overcorrecting the opposite way because it's not as great as the G1s of the past decade, which let's let's be very clear since I've been watching, you know, since like it's been eaten accessible to watch a g1 the whole way through since like 13 or 14 this g1 doesn't hold up to any of the g1s period it just doesn't um but to pretend in your reviews because you're contrasting it to g1 as a whole and not just to wrestling as a whole that these are bad shows that's a bad faith argument it's just not true it's 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 a lie is what it is and it's also sensationalist what this tournament is, is a night where every single night there are mostly just really good matches and every now and again, a couple great matches, and none of them really exceed to the G1 level that you expect. I'm not telling you, go out it. For those of you listening, if you're not watching the show, I would definitely say check out the recommended matches that are hitting that four-star level for sure. But I'm not going to sit here and recommend you this G1 and say, you need to go watch it. But I will say if you're a reviewer or you're like one of those people adding scores, stop fucking capping and saying this shit is like six, you know, a six or a five or a four when it's clearly not like when the matches are clearly good. Like, can't we just tell the truth?
2: Right. Um, you know, if I had to average all my ratings so far, I would I would guess they would probably the average would fall like three and a half to three point seven five. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that's very good. I get it. It's not four and three quarters. It's not five stars. We're not getting all these bangers, but we are getting a lot of very good wrestling. There's been a lot of three and three quarters. There's been a lot of four star matches. Right. Um, and so, yeah. Over- it's a lot
1: like last month's uh, super juniors.
2: Right. Um. In, in, a, in a vacuum, like this is a very good tournament with a lot of, you know, very good, to sometimes great wrestling. Um yep. but then yeah if you isolate it and compare it to like you mentioned G1s from the last decade then yeah of course it, it's it's not going to live up to the it's not living up to those right now.
1: I will say this these nights have been easier to watch than most G1s. Yeah that's for, better, for, for better or for worse. They're just easier watches. And I'm not saying that that's like you know uh a net positive but it's just true. This has been because most of them are shorter. It's just been easier to kind of get through and watch. Yeah. And and keep up with. This is the easiest it's ever been for me to keep up with the G1 since we started doing the show. Yeah. And also, I,
2: I really think that the format's probably the biggest detriment to this tournament thus far. Because, I mean, we've had two Pandemic G1s with two blocks, and, and they've been very, very good. And so I'm wondering, like you mentioned, that this was a, a – back to the two-block format, we'll, we'll be talking about a completely different tournament.
1: I also think it's probably just the malaise of not being able to have crowds cheer, especially after a lot of these guys went overseas, experienced the live crowd, and now they're back home and they can't have, you know, they're back to clap crowds. It's probably a huge, like, morale dump. You know what I mean? Right. Especially, but, um,
2: especially those guys that worked, like, Forbidden Door and been working like, Dynamite and Rampage. Yep. Yeah,
1: but you know we're we're in group chats and we have people dumping on this. You don't see me cap in front and be like, "Hold up, guys, it's so good." I'm not going to do that. But I'm seeing these reviewers and I'm talking about like these are god awful nights. This is horrible. And it's like, dude, no, it's not. Like, just tell the truth. Just say it's very good. This is also the worst G one in a decade. Those two things can be mutually true at the same time. Yeah. Period. So um, we have uh, G1 Nights coming up next week. I'll be reviewing these with Chris Samsa. On um, night 11, we have G1 Action. Yujiro uh, will be facing Juice Robinson. Tai Chi versus Chase Owens. Naito versus Sonore. Jonah versus Jeff Cobb. And the main event will be Tanahashi versus Evil. On night 12, we have El Fantasmo versus Yoshihashi. Lance Archer versus Toriano. Goto versus ZSJ. Jay White versus Okan. And in the main event, Shingo Takagi versus Will Ospreay. Big, big circle on that one. So definitely. Let's go. Yep. Um, Also, Jay White versus Okan. That's a big one. Yeah. Um, And then on night 13, we have uh, G1 Action, Evil versus Hanare, Bale versus Lawler, ELP versus Juice, Ishii versus Chase. And then the main event will be Okada versus Jonah upset alert
2: yeah especially that main event spot I me mean, that could be the match that you're looking for to kind of get Jonah in that, that threshold of you know coming back next year
1: if there's someone that can do it so Kata yeah so this past Saturday was NJPW music city mayhem in conjunction with Starcast and Rick Flair's last match pay-per-view um it aired saturday around like 3 p.m. Eastern we had seven matches um, I'll just do a quick run-through of the results, and then we can maybe both give our quick thoughts on the show since we're running short on time. Yeah. So uh, Fred Yehai, to Umino, and Yuya Mora. they defeated Kevin Knight, Narita, and the DKC. Um, Davey Richards successfully defended his MLW national openweight title against Rocky Romero. Um, Fred Rosser successfully defended his strong openweight title against Big Damo. Uh, Hiromu Takahashi defeated Blake Christian, the United Empire with Alex Zane. Oh no, I'm sorry. The United Empire, um, Fletcher, Davis, and TJP. They defeated Alex Zane and FTR semi-main event, Alex, uh, Shelley and Kushida, the members of the time splitters, they wrestled to a 20 minute time limit draw. And then in the main event and in no disqualification match, John Moxley defeated El Desperado by referee's decision, 17 minutes and 20 seconds
2: yes yeah, so overall I thought this was a very good show um i just think some things and also like the i guess production you could say was fine but the building is kind of like one of these like i don't know, how how would you describe it like
1: um it's just an open warehouse yeah
2: open warehouse kind of building and you know it just did not look like a a high level like new japan show i mean there's a lot of like big names on this show and some very good matches and the stage it was presented on just didn't look the best. I mean, it, it kind of felt like, to me, like a, a WrestleMania weekend, like New Orleans, like WWE, like Super Show kind of vibe versus, all right, this is New Japan Pro Wrestling, putting on this a big... pay-per-view. A pay-per-view. We have John Moxley on the card. We have Hiromu Takahashi on the card. We have Alex Shelley and Kushida on the card. It just, it just did not feel too... And,
1: I mean, for better or for worse, FTR. They're pretty big stars now, so yeah yeah very, very strange uh they had a lot of issues with the mic yeah people trying to cut promos post-match they couldn't do it so that was a little janky um as far as the show overall i thought it was pretty good i the the davy richards versus record marrow match which oh and also i mean that's an, a battle of former tag team partners in the no remorse corp so that's also interesting but uh I, I felt like the rosser Demo match and the Davey Richards Rocker romero match they weren't bad but they were kind of like the low low points of the show. Yeah, and uh, um, I really loved the opener with all the Young Lions and Freddie Ahy. Dude,
2: yeah, but, the, uh, the interactions with uh, Narita and Umino and Narita and Umora were yeah. so good. And you know, we had a conversation off the air talking about you know who who looked the real ace between Umino and Yamura.
1: Yeah, yeah, it's very that one's very interesting, and seeing them side by side was, uh, you know, kind of eye opening. Mm-hmm. Um, Hiroshi versus Blake Christian just ruled like that was maybe as good or better than almost anything that was in the best of the Super Juniors this past year.
2: Yeah, and I think that's where the show really picked up because yeah, that match was awesome. The crowd was really into it. You had a lot of GCW fans in the crowd, so you had big dueling, all heart time bomb. Uh, dueling chance. Horomu had uh, He brought Daryl out and there were several Daryls and Carols in the crowd Daryl uh, joined commentary With Kevin Kelly and uh, <laughs> Matt Raywall. Uh But yeah, this was a fun match You know, RLPW These guys were flipping all over the place Especially Blake Christian, he was doing a lot Of really cool stuff
1: Hey, I'll say this, I have had some uh, Criticisms of Blake Christian In the past uh, most of those at this point, I think, are alleviated. Some of the things that I saw as being like issues and inconsistencies, I think that time in WWE and then his time, his reemergence back on the Indies has like changed him as a performer, bro. Like he's still as dynamic as he was before, but like the little things and like the the, the kind of jankiness to his like game, that stuff's gone, bro. Like he's on a he's on a different level right now. And uh, I thought Hiromu did an incredible job, like putting him over. Like,
3: whoa!
1: Oh my gosh! <laughs> oh my god! He's so good. <laughs> and like, he was even like tweeting, like, "I want this guy in Japan." So like, yeah, expect. I think expect to see Blake Christian in Japan sometime in the near future, probably. Yeah. Um, I thought the United Empire versus Zane FTR match was pretty good. Um, looks like they're setting up a potential. Fletcher Davis versus FTR match for the IWGB titles which will be interesting. You know, Davis and Fletcher they're in the runnings for those uh strong openweight tag team titles. So, you know, could we see New Japan double champions in the near future possibly? I don't know.
2: Yeah, it not like this match could happen in Japan. I think Aussie Open was like you know, if we if you want to face us face us in Japan something like that. So,
1: yeah, and you know, I've said this off the air, but I will say this. I've And it's not because they're just wrestling each other now or the sudden emergence of FTR is like a top – well, not sudden emergence, but, like, you know, within this past year, they're on this huge trajectory as being, like, probably the tag team of the year. In my opinion, and I've had this opinion for a long time, I think Aussie Open are the better tag team than FTR. And I think they have been for a while, actually.
2: Yeah, I would just say FTR just has had the bigger platforms and the bigger opportunities. Yeah. But the more Aussie Open gets chances, people are going to see –
1: let me tell you how many tag teams I put above Aussie Open in, in 2022. The Young Bucks? <laughs> That's it. That's the list. That's the list. <laughs> um. <laughs> so um, Alex Shelley and Kushida, I thought that they had a really good, fun, interesting match. Um, You know, they both wore the same gear that they wore the first time they ever tagged together. So I think it was a very meaningful i thought it was interesting i was like why is her why is a uh, Kushida coming out in his like old gear because seems like he's trying to kind of like break away from that a little bit since he came back to new japan but yeah um this was a throwback for both guys kind of like alluding to their previous uh tag team and you know they went to a time limit draw which is fitting uh we don't see a lot of those in new japan and that was kind of meaningful here and I, hopefully especially with uh Kushida maybe like doing some freelance work maybe some uh, impact work they we could see them team up again sometime in the future.
2: Yeah, that would be great. I mean, I'm hoping this just leads to Alex Shelley coming back to New Japan. I think he would be a great addition to New Japan Strong in the States and then why not bring him back for Super Juniors?
1: He's having a renaissance year so. And then um th- without further ado, our match of the month, John Moxley versus El Desperado and uh you know I had the audacity to question how good this match, <laughs> you know, for me, it really just came down to the right platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, where would Desperado be showcased in the right light against a guy like Joe Moxley, who is a huge encompassing star, who I thought could possibly swallow him up. You know, you, you put him in a AEW match. And I mean, I don't know how much they actually give to Despy, but uh, here on this night, they gave a lot to Despy. And these guys are both sickos. And they're about that hardcore deathmatch match life. We saw skewers, we saw barbed wire boards, we saw tables, chairs, and blood, and it was fucking awesome.
2: Yeah, this match was absolutely nuts. Yeah, and I watched it right before we got on the air, and we're we're talking about you know match of the month. And as soon as we got on online, I was like, yes, this was definitely the match of the month. These guys went out here, had this crazy bloody brawl moxie ripping despie's mask um like uh Despy with the skewers shoving them into moxie's head the, the guitar shot and then moxie like kind of stabbing despi in the eye in the face like a shard of the guitar uh the, they
1: were they were selling that guitar signed by both guys uh which i was like damn that's pretty cool
2: <laughs> <laughs> um yeah and the, the barbed wire boards and oh my gosh it was just a bloody crazy match uh, Moxley sold so much for Despy. Made
1: Despy look, gave him a lot of offense. I have a criticism, something I really don't like, really, really don't like about mm. the match, though. So Despy, like, starts attacking the legs, gets him in the numero dos, everything like that. Mox is in trouble. Mox is hurt. Mox is reeling, right? Mm-hmm. Despy gets hits him with the fucking pinche loco doesn't just hit him with the pinche loco rolls through and lifts him up and mox just starts blasting him and then hits him with the death rider and like it's one two three and i'm like bro you got hit with this fucking finish and he was fit and he was fixing to hit you with a follow-up version of the what should have happened and i mean i i can tell you i'm not usually one to say this is what should have happened but i'm telling you from someone that has learned a little bit about psychology <laughs> from an actual top tier, great wrestler, what should have happened is he should have got hit with that pinche loco. When they rolled through, he should have reversed it. And when he blasted him with a clothesline, he should have fucking fell down and sold the finisher. He no sold his finisher completely, mm. completely no sold it. And not in the way where like, Oh, it's Wardlow or Goldberg. And it's awesome in a way where it was like, it just got blown off completely. He ate his. He ate the pinche loco. Now, part of me feels like Mox probably didn't know that. Maybe that was. Maybe Mox didn't know that was his finisher. Yeah, but like, he did a great job making him look great. But dude, you can't eat someone's finisher like that and then just finish them. It looks horrible.
2: Yeah, I guess I don't know. This didn't bother me too much because, like, going into the match, I already knew Moxley was winning. Um, But
1: that's the issue. If it when they do things like that it makes you care less yeah they need like he should have at least fucking fell down and there should have been a double down that led to the finish stanza you know what i'm saying yeah like he was trying to hit him with his super finisher the roll through the one and then the roll through and then the second one which like if he hit that hypothetically that should have been the end of mox right but yeah mox was just like fuck this (laughs) <laughs> hold this <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's like, okay okay i guess
2: <laughs> there's also the spot where they had like, that board that had like half cut like soda cans or whatever uh, that was crazy and mox gave uh despian Xplex plex onto them oh my gosh that that was that, nuts. that was
1: nuts yeah other than that the match was fantastic i loved the match i thought it was great mox tried to put uh cut a post-match promo but like didn't have a good audio but i kind of caught what he was saying and he said doesn't matter what the top letters at the marquee are, whether it's NJPW or AEW. The only three letters you need to matter that you need to pay attention to when they're at the top of the bill is M O X. And I was like, <laughs> yeah. that's pretty tight. Yeah, that's a good promo. So we got a question. So,
2: uh, a question here from friend of the show Dan Coffin: says, As a semi ghoul I love the main event of MCM. Moxley has been crushing everything since he came back from his uh, time off, including his NJPW work would you put him in consideration for njpw wrestler of the year
1: no not even like i wouldn't even consider him at all and it's basically based off of just one simple fact he's only had four matches in the last calendar year that's not enough granted they've been awesome probably at least three of them have been some of the better matches in new japan but also, keep in mind one of those was on a cross promotional show, so that one's a little, uh, you know, iffy. Yep. But like, real, realistically, he's only had four matches; it's not enough.
2: Yeah, I mean, when you look at other guys' year, like Okada and Jay White and Osprey, like it's hard to to match up what they've been doing all year in Japan versus, like you mentioned, that the handful of matches that Mox has had. So then, uh, moving on to New Japan Strong, we had night four of the Ignition Tour. And I did not see this week strong, but we'll, we'll run through the results here. Uh, we had Jeff, <laughs> <laughs> we had Jeff Cobb defeating Jordan Clearwater four minutes and twenty seven seconds. I, I can kind of envision what happened. Quick squash, yeah, quick squash toward the islands. Uh, Freddie Yehai defeated Bateman 7 in 30 seconds. I know those guys have been feuding. Uh, then we, in the semi main event, we had the strong open weight tag team turnover. Tag Team t- Title Tournament semi-final um, match.
1: Yehai Ye- hit Tyler Bateman with a spinning backfist that, like, fucked up Tyler Bateman, which was pretty awesome. Nice. Like, he hit him with a spinning backfist and then sunk in a submission. The referee called it off, which was, like, pretty badass, actually.
2: Nice. Uh, so, yeah, then in the strong uh, Tag Team Title semi-final match, we had Aussie Open defeating the Stray Dog Army. So the finals of the tournament will be Aussie Open, Kyle Fletcher, Mark Davis versus the mixed match team of the Fallen Angel, Christopher Daniels and Yuya Uemura. Then the main event of the show, we had the Bullet Club team of Chase Owens, Hikaleo, and Jay White defeating Fred Rosser, Hiroshi Tanahashi, and Kevin Knight.
1: Yeah, no, not much to add there. I mean, those matches were both fine. I think it looks like Aussie Open my opinion Aussie open is probably winning these, uh, strong open weight titles most likely, but, uh, yeah, Jay cut up, you know, a a promo at the end of the match, you know, that's pretty much it.
2: Nice. So now moving. Actually,
1: in fact, actually it was a great promo. So if you, I probably wouldn't do it justice, like kind of recapping it here, but yeah, that was a highlight. That probably was the highlight of the show that and Fred Yehi is spinning back this, but, uh, Uh, Kind of a
2: forgettable strong, honestly. Yeah. So then uh, real quick with the news, uh, there's a couple things here. The the main thing here was uh, Carl Fredericks, like we alluded to earlier, is uh, no longer with New Japan Pro Wrestling. The 32-year-old posted a message on his social media announcing that he will not be re-signing with the company. He said, as of today, August 1st, I am no longer under contract with New Japan Pro Wrestling, I will not be re-signing with the company at this time. Though there is disappointment in the ending of this chapter, I am grateful for the last four years, traveling the world and growing with my best friends. I want to say thank you to the company for the opportunities, and especially thank you to Shibata-san for believing in me and bringing me along with his journey with the LA Dojo. Last but not least, thank you to my fans, and thank you to the NJW fans for your support over these years. I hope you will continue to support me along my path, whatever wherever that may lead. And we have some questions here on this uh, Rambo slam pig says, what are your thoughts on the departure of Carl Frederick? Seems like a big miss to not be able to capitalize on a guy like him. Any ideas, what might be next or where he would fit best?
1: Um. Yeah, those are hard questions to answer. Um, I mean, my thoughts on the departure, I think it's unfortunate. I think a lot of this has to do with what took place between the pandemic starting and now Um, and also a lot of things we're probably not privy to. We don't know all the ins and outs of the backstage ongoings with, you know, management and, uh, and, and Carl, you know, so it's hard to say what did or didn't happen, but it is unfortunate. Also, unfortunately, it sounds like the uh, new Japan cup uh, winner curse has struck yet again, Mean the uh, young, young line cup. Yeah, my bad. The young lion cup curse has struck yet again. But um, you know, Carl was a guy that we were saw a lot of upside in, big fans of. He was gracious enough to spend some time with us early in the pandemic to come on this show, which we are very grateful for. Um, I think that he has star potential written all over him. I think we've been very uh I think that the booking of him in New Japan over this pandemic period has been very questionable mm-hmm. for sure. Yeah, from the outside looking in. At the same time, there have been times where I've questioned his work and I've thought that it kind of regressed in a way in comparison to some of his like contemporaries like Clark Connors and Alex Coglin. And again, is that because of the booking? Is that because of something that was going on with training? Like, we don't really know. I don't know how much that has to do with him or the company. And it seems like uh, there was an impasse between both sides and they weren't able to continue to work together, which is unfortunate. I did think that he was a guy that could potentially be a a top Gaijin in the company and even future champion. That's how high the ceiling looked for him. And, you know, who knows? Maybe one day he will return to the company. But for now, uh, he'll be going away. And it sounds like, I don't know, maybe AEW, maybe WWE. I think those are both realistic possibilities for him.
2: Yeah, I could easily see him signing with either of those promotions, um, especially... With have to be being open once again to bring in wrestlers that have experience and triple H heading creative. I could see him doing a lot with Carl Fredericks. And then, you know, Tony Khan, he's, he's putting NXT 2.0 geeks on TV. I think he would definitely grab a guy like Carl Fredericks and do something with him. Uh, MDS says, Carl Fredericks has opted not to resign with NJPW. WTF happened.
1: We don't know. Like I said, um, I think that uh, his outlash or, you know, his tweets that he posted because he didn't get the G1, that probably didn't sit well with management. But then again, like I said, we don't really know what happened. I mean, right. I mean the, from he alluded a... to things in that tweet, promises that were made and and things that were spoken. So who really knows, you know, at the end of the day.
2: Right. From a surface level, it just seems like the, the blow up G1 tweet is a thing that was a catalyst. But like you mentioned, a lot of things that he did tweet about kind of afterwards and what kind of what people are speculating. And there might be some more stuff. Maybe yeah, he was kind of promised a G1 spot and didn't happen. We don't really,
1: really know. Who knows what happened before that and after that to, or and and in the build and lead up to that? You know, we we don't know. These are real humans and real people with that are putting their whole careers and lives you know at stake every time they go out the wrestle and every time they sign a contract and decide to go live in a house with a strange Japanese man that you know borderline abuses them yeah. <laughs> in training. Yeah. So I mean makes them
2: do squats when they go out to the beach.
1: Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I mean um we're not there. We don't know. We, we we can't tell that story for them because we really don't know what happened.
2: Yeah. Uh, Less Commission 7252 says in my opinion It seems like a work just for him To come back as a heel But if it is true do you guys support Frederick's case of not being in a G1 this year I can agree that guys like Udrow or Balak Falay could have been Spots given to Frederick's
1: Yeah I mean Hypothetically I agree with that but then again I'm not the company and I'm not him And I don't know you
2: Yeah, know? Yeah I mean From a, a fan perspective like we mentioned I think Having Fredericks in there it would have been Much better than having um, A, a Fale or A Ugerow in the tournament But yeah I mean again we don't know Exactly what went on Backstage I mean it, this is some kind Of work which I highly doubt it is Because given the nature of this I mean I guess that could be cool but um, Yeah I think He's gone I think he's he Might take a break he might focus on DJing for a while And then I think he'll reemerge in AW or WWE. Uh, last week's news here uh, Ren Narita, he defeated Yuyamura on the, the pre show of Ric Flair's last match. Uh, I didn't catch this one either, but saw some clips on Twitter, and I know these guys are both awesome. So it, like it was a, a fun matchup here, and I'm loving this kind of rivalry that's you know brewing between Narita and Yamora. Definitely. All right, last few questions here, then we'll do recommended match of the week and get out of here. Uh Les Commission seven two five two says as of right now, do you guys possibly think that we'll see the expansion of the Super Juniors Tag League this year and the return of the Super J Cup?
1: Um, I don't know why they would expand on the tag league. Uh they they don't have enough tag teams to fill it as is.
2: Yeah, honestly I would have just prefer them to go back to doing a, a single elimination. Tournament yes. for, for uh Super, yes. Super Junior Tag League, uh. But I guess we'll we'll see what, how that goes. But I don't I don't expect that tournament to get a big push. Uh, Super Cup I could see returning with New Japan Strong and some of the the Junior talents that they have there.
1: That last Super Cup sucked though, and I'm like I'm not a big fan of like putting the stamp of approval of a legendary you know thing like Cup on something that's mid you know yeah. And it's not something that was done annually in the past either. Like, it's been intermittent um, for an undeterminate amount of time. Like, there was 94, 95, and then after that, was, like, every so often. So, like, for me, it's like, I'm fine with them doing it, but if you're going to do it, it needs to be with the best guys in the world. Which, you know, in fact, the one that they did in America was with incredible talent, but the, the way they formatted it in that empty building, it just sucked. And the short match times... They need to, like, actually do it for real with some of the best guys and, like, make it matter and make it be that real, you know? Yeah.
2: Uh, which wrestler should have been IWGP Heavyweight Champion before it was retired last year, and which wrestler do you guys definitely want to see hold the IWGP World Heavyweight Championship? In my opinion, I believe Suzuki should have had the previous belt, and I definitely want to see either Sonata or ZSJ hold this IWGP World Heavyweight Championship?
1: As far as guys that should have held it, that did not hold it, I do kind of feel like Suzuki would have been cool, especially considering he, if he were to win it, he would complete that rare trifecta of being All Japan, Noah, and New Japan champion. And that's probably never going to happen at this point. So that is a little unfortunate, but I can't think of too many others where I'm like, they should have held it, you know?
2: Yeah. I think Suzuki is probably the, the most kind of glaring one that probably should have had it that didn't. Um, I mean, I know he had, he mentioned Saber for the world title, but I, I think Saber could have been a guy who could have held the V4 IWGP heavyweight championship.
1: Yeah, I would definitely be a proponent of Zack Sabre Jr. holding the the world title. And um, I don't know, maybe this is an indictment on New Japan, but I can't think of too many guys that haven't held it yet that I think need to hold it. I guess there's probably going to be a lot of people that would say Naito. <laughs> You know, and I, I like Naito, but I'm not like, you know, it's, it, this Naito in 2022 is not the same Naito from like 2017. So, right, um, I don't know. I mean, I know
2: Osprey's already held it, but he didn't really get a, a run of it due to...
1: You, you can't name someone that already... <laughs> that's not the question. Uh,
2: no, I know, we, but we missed out on like a, you know, a potential like <laughs> six month to year run of him having tile offenses.
1: Tanahashi
2: needs to hold it. <laughs> <laughs> Go Ace! <laughs> oh
1: man,
2: uh, Hawaiian Punch VV, he says. I, I
1: know, I know. Rich is probably listening, being like, "What you mean, Kenny?" Kenny. <laughs> <laughs>
2: uh, Hawaiian Punch BV. What do you think about Gato setting the booking trend of interference-heavy stables in Japan? In Noah Los Perros del Mal de Japón were having matches that ended in DQ. And AJPW, Voodoo Murders, is somehow back and still alive, and they're kind of making the promotion unbearable to watch lately.
1: Yeah, I mean, yeah, but... I mean, well, first off, the Voodoo Murders, like, kind of existed before Bullet Club and all that, and this stuff has always existed. In in Japanese wrestling, it's always existed. I mean, you can go back forever. There was, yeah. like, one time when... There's one time I was like tracking the history of like chaos and like how chaos like formed from like rise, and you know, I I started going back and like felt like I don't know, and there there's just been so many like heel faction groups that cheated and did DQs all throughout Japanese wrestling history. Like um it's pretty prominent, at least going back to the 80s. So I don't know. I don't I don't think it's all gato. But yeah, I think that maybe there is some influence, but I don't know. Also, I don't watch a new and all, no one all Japan anyway. So, welcome. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, I don't watch a you no know, all of Japan at all. But yeah, also not the, the best trend to have a bunch of heel factions having a bunch of matches and a DQ and in interference. Uh, it also said thoughts on the newest bull, newest member of Bull Club, Mima Shimoda.
1: So I haven't had time to watch the backstage promos. I saw that Jay White is doing the Jay, the Jay Tonight show or something like that.
2: Yeah, uh, I, I haven't seen all the backstage promos either, so I'm not sure where what this is referring to.
1: Yeah, he did a promo where Mima, Mima was back there, and he like called her up, and I don't know what was said. Bro, we're barely like finishing all these shows. So.
2: Yeah, like like you mentioned, we had freaking four New Japan shows on Saturday themselves. So yeah,
1: yeah. So I I don't know. I didn't see that.
2: (laughs) All right, let's uh, end here. Recommended match of the week. Uh, So last week for the recommended match, I recommended the G One Twenty Seven match between Tanahashi and Zack Saber Junior. What do you think about this one?
1: Great, great, great match uh, incredible first opening stanza between these two guys. You know, I talked about Tanahashi dropping first time matches against guys that were that like upset him in the G1. Zach is another person in that mold in 2017, you know, Tanahashi was in the tournament with all the injuries, you know, the bicep injury and, you know, the back and the knees, and all that's in and the, and the bad neck, <laughs> and uh zach kind of knew that and took advantage of it they had an incredible clash of styles but the one thing that was just awesome throughout the match was zach is this like you know obviously this technical wizard right he does all this cool inventive stuff but like tanahashi he's classic pro wrestling and but even though he doesn't know all these flashy techniques, he knows things that work, and you can put him in pretty much any bad situation, and he's going to know how to get out of it and get into something that still works. And even though, like, Zach knows what Tanahashi's going to do, it doesn't make what Tanahashi's doing any less effective. And that's kind of always been the dynamic between the two of them, is like, Zach tries to put Tanahashi in these positions where Tanahashi is clueless and Tanahashi is never clueless. He's able to always grab an arm or grab a leg or grab a head and and work out of it. And I think that's one of the things that has always made their dynamic work. It's like, you know, these two different class classes of, uh, you know, styles of working that still just kind of mesh beautifully. And eventually Zach was able to really focus hardcore on the arms and all that and just kind of wear him down there and then obviously Tanahashi went for the knees and the leg like he always does and tried to set up for the high fly flows and at a certain point looked like he was going to win but Zach was able to you know get past all of that he was able to outlast you know the knee attacks outlast the uh clover hold and eventually got. Tanahashi on the mat, got him grounded, got him into you know a hold. I don't even know what to call it. And then, you know, he did the class exact thing. He gets him in a bad position. He looks like he's gonna get to the rope. Oh, I got this arm. Oh, I got this arm. Oh, I got you here. Boom, i a gonna wrench on this. And he got Tanahashi in like basically what looked like a rings of Saturn, but then he like turned it into like an Americana slash like hoverboard lock while. All at the same time and Tanahashi like had to submit. And uh Don Callis and Kevin Keller in the call, and they just they're they're incredible. And this is you know Zach's first G1. So it's a it's a really great match. Um I definitely liked this match better than their most recent one, although they're not far off.
2: Nice. So, then for the excursion match of the week, you picked uh, Shima's 25th anniversary match that happened uh, in May of this year with Shima teaming up with Shingo to take on uh, Kawakami and Sakamoto. Um, and this was a, a really fun match. And I think the most interesting thing about this match was, you know, we heard all the backstage rumors and stories. That there was a lot, there was a lot of heat between Shima and Shingo, and when Shima and Strongheart Hearts were wrestling in New Japan, that Shingo seemed to have a problem with that, and there was issues, and we are all this stuff, and this, all these back and stuff I guess that happened in Dragon Gate, um, but it seems like somehow, some way, these guys have squashed the beef, and it was very interesting just seeing them working together in this match, and I thought they worked uh, really well together, made a very uh, interesting team. Um, majority of the match was kind of built On Shingo Kind of taking the heat and Shingo was in there um, I, th- I would say Majority of the match, especially the, the last like closing stretch He was in there um, And it all built to the hot tag Of Shima and Shima came in there Got the hot tag and was kind of Cleaning house and then the closing stretch Was kind of built on Shima and Shingo Working together and then uh, Shima Hitting the, uh, the Meteora knees To get the win
1: yeah, I watched this. I read the reviews before I made the suggestion and went at, went ahead and watched it myself and I thought it was very fun. And I thought it was cool to see Shima and Shingo wrestle together. But the early parts was just kind of like fun fluff shenanigans and then it got very good down the stretch. But it, you know, I didn't think that the scores that people online were giving this were indicative of like what I actually saw. <laughs>
2: You know we're we're in a uh, inflation right now. You know inflation, yes. These, these star ratings are being inflated out here.
1: Yo, we're we're not just in, a, bro. We're in the middle of a recession. Although, they literally won't call it a recession. Mm. Yeah, but I work in finance, and I can tell you what a recession is. A recession <laughs> is two quarters of a downturn, for you know the GDP and everything downturning. And that's what has happened, but for some reason they have literally officially changed what a recession is. You know why? The election season is coming up and they don't want any, Mm. any president that is in the middle of a recession loses. Also historically, any president that has gas prices go up by this amount, always fucking loses. And they're trying to make, do everything to make sure that this guy doesn't lose. Mm. I'm not a, I'm not a Republican or a Democrat, but I'm just telling you as someone that works in finance, like we're in the middle of a recession. But they literally won't call it that. <laughs> it's so crazy. <laughs> oh man! But um, we got some matches coming up for next week.
2: <laughs> yeah. So uh, for my pick for the excursion the match of the week, I'm picking Kushida versus Rich Swan. That happened recently on Impact Wrestling. I believe that was last Thursday. The match is up for free on NJ. Okay, I don't think it's free. I think you have to have a subscription. But it is up on NJPW World if you are a subscriber.
1: Nice. And my recommended match of the week is Boss Ruten versus Koji Kanemoto from October 26, 2002 for the IWGP Junior Heavyweight title. And uh, next week will be Chris Samsa. So he has agreed to watch my recommended match of the week. I will watch Jeremy's Excursion match. And then next week, Chris will give me a recommended match uh, recommendation and I will give an excursion match, I guess. Yeah. We'll we'll figure it out.
2: (laughs) Yeah, well, that's going to wrap it up. Like I said, uh, next week, Chris Samso will be joining the young boy uh, for next week's episode and they'll discuss uh, G1's nights 11 through 13. So if you enjoyed today's show, please consider making a donation. Visit socialsuplex.com slash donate and click on the donate button under the keeping it strong style logo make sure to connect with us on social media on twitter the show is at ki strong style you can follow me at jeremy l donovan the network is at social suplex on facebook or facebook.com slash social suplex you also find us in the wrestling Square circle facebook group facebook.com slash group slash wrestling square circle on reddit on the pro black guy just keeping a strong style you can email me jeremy at suplex.com check out all the other shows here on the social suplex podcast network one nation radio hosted by rich data and james Boyd. the grave consequences hosted by caleb and maserati all things elite with floyd and austin the aew match guy podcast hosted by sir sam the great match generator hosted by danny don't forget to subscribe and leave a rating and review and we will catch you Next week on Keeping It Strong Style, the ace of podcasts.
0: Itchy bond.
1: Thank you for listening to Keeping It Strong Style. We'll see you next time.